The Fighting Films Podcast discusses films ranging from G to NC-17 rated. The three hosts discussing these films are adults who will not hold back from using bad or explicit language at times. With that in mind, this show is not censored, so please listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Fighting Films, a podcast where us three friends pit two films against one another that are similar to us in some way. Maybe they have very similar plots, maybe they share directors and themes, maybe they are an adaptation of a famous novel, or maybe there is just some personal reason for one or each of us. Either way, the discussion will be fun, so let's get those films fighting. Hi, I'm one of your co-hosts, Stefan, the show creator, fun fact generator, and critical aggregate. And I'm Jess. Um, I control the social media. <laughs> so when you're on there, you're talking to me. And I basically try to keep us on track. Um, we do have a number of social media outlets, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon, in case you, you know, like our show and want to support us. Um, now, today is a very special special episode because we have my very close friend here with me in my dining room studio madonna i think we're gonna go with the word dungeon i was really prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes I'm... no no friends not the singer and artist and woman who tried to make out with karen on will and grace to save her apartment I remember that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She was just blessed with this wonderful name. Mm -hmm. I like to tell people I was born with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you were born this way. Yeah. So, again, Madonna. I am a film fanatic and D&D nerd. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. So, what brings you on the show, Madonna? Um, well, I like movies, I like biopics, <laughs> and Jesse asked me. Yes. Um, Madonna has shown interest in starting her own podcast, which is top secret right now. Um, I want to for- learn more about this. I'm excited. Yes, for the time being. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the same with us having no real podcast experience. Um, and she thoroughly enjoyed the movies we are talking about this week. I said, why not come on our show? Why not? Right. And I couldn't find a reason to not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, besides that, you had to spend time with me. (laughs) Actually, that was about that time that I need to (laughs) know. All right, Stefan, what movies are we talking about this week? We're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man. Uh, definitely a pairing that I know you you have definitely been really excited about for a long time. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And they are alike uh, in the sense that they're both, uh, as Madonna said, biopics and uh, musicals. And they're specifically about uh, uh, artists in the rock genre of the same era, kind of like the 70s, 80s. Um Uh, who both are gay. Yep. Um, And actually, uh, Madonna and I just rewatched these movies a few hours ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's really a lot of similarities between these movies. I noticed that too. 
Yeah. Um, they, they both, you know, they both have a big party scene and they both have, you know, questionable parents and they both have, you know, um, ungrateful lovers. Um, I feel like it's, it has a lot to do with, I feel like Freddie Mercury and Elton John, because they were in the same area, saw a lot of the same conflict is what I'm kind of like. And I feel like that's why their stories are so similar. Um, because the, they both were gay men in the 70s, 80s, and 90s-ish. And <laughs> well, and, you know, not realizing they were gay and had relationships with women and then had to, you know, realize their homosexuality and... Families that weren't necessarily, like, up to date with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Name changes. Issues with drug abuse. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... Self-loathing. Not great friends. Well, Bernie oh, yeah. was a pretty great friend. I I feel like the friends in... Or the bandmates in Queen were really... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they were supportive in their own way. Oh, I... In, in talking about where they're not alike, um, I feel they were supportive to a point while still protecting themselves, where Bernie Bernie was there for clinging for dear life. Like, mm-hmm. you are not getting rid of me, pal. And this is also uh, a director's spotlight. It is. Yep. And before everybody says, oh, but no, uh, Brian Singer did um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, we're going to get into that. We're we're going straight into movie number 1, which is Bohemian Rhapsody. All right, tell us about it. Yeah. So, uh was released in 2018. And sorry, I got to go back to the other page here. So yeah. good. Mhm. We we have to do a lot of page jumping. Right, yeah. Yeah. And as you know, um I want to preface it by saying that I do like this movie, but I do have my thoughts and opinions on it, as you're aware of, Jess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Bohemian Rhapsody uh, starts out, you know, we meet, uh, it starts out with the, uh, where Freddie Mercury is about to go on stage for the uh, Live Aid uh, concert, which was an event in uh, 1986 to raise money for uh, famine in Africa. Mm-hmm. Massive, massive concert. Like everyone who's anybody in the the music business was there, and they they've done it uh, since in the uh, uh, since 1986. They've done it before uh, multiple times since. Okay. And uh, yeah, and so then, but that's all just a setup. And so then you know we we flash back to uh, Freddie, where he is, you know, trying to get his start. You know, and just he uh, meets his bandmates, which, by the way, um, one one complaint that I do have about this movie is uh, there's a lot of historical inaccuracies. Um, so funny you should mention that. Um, I actually ventured outside of our IMDb bubble. Mm hmm. And found a really cool website called historyversushollywood.com. That sounds and cool. 
Yeah, and they have a section called Real Faces. That's R-E-E-L, Faces. And um, so I was able to find Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man on here. And it's it's really cool. And it kind of goes through and um, it, it shows you the uh, actors who played the characters and then the real people. So it does a side-by-side and, like, some info on them, which is really cool. But then uh, once you get past all that, you know, there's there's um, bigger questions that people had about the movie. Um, and so, mm-hmm. like, like, did Freddie Mercury change his name? You know, when did Freddie Mercury arrive in the UK? And um, so there's actually a lot of... Uh, information on here that's really helpful for this episode yeah wikipedia has a good uh bullet point spread of it as well oh okay i mean i love wikipedia too but they're usually a bit wordy Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i obviously won't go through all of them just you know uh, a few of them for instance uh just since we're we're at the beginning with the band's formation uh uh, for instance, uh, Freddie Freddie Mercury did not meet Mary Austin on the same night as joining the band, which, I mean, we all could have guessed that, obviously. Uh, he In watching a biopic, I mean, sometimes, you know, you take it as is. Right. Until right. you go through and research it some more. Yeah, and like the, the formation of the band was not, you know, as quick as it was in the movie. Uh, it's, yeah, like... Uh, Mercury, for instance, had known uh, Staffel from college, and he had shown interest in joining him even before uh, his departure. Who's Staffel? Tim Staffel from Art oh. College. Though that that's the, uh, the the one of the former members when it was known as when Queen was known as Smile. Yes. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. And. Before his departure, Mercury expressed an interest in that. So it wasn't like I showed up one night, I can sing, you know, because of my my uh, mouth, quote unquote, deformity, which I loved how they the movie touched on that. Well, I mean, it, it explained, you know, why he felt he had such a great vocal ability and range. Mm hmm. Definitely. And- what was that deformity, supposedly? It was. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, it was the extra set of incisors. I believe it was, hold on, four <laughs> uh, incisors in his, the top sections of his mouth. Which led to his uh, famous overbite. Mm-hmm. And the ability to be singing in two to three octaves. Yep. Which is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, the makeup for this movie was great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, um, they got Brian May's hair down pat, <laughs> I have to say. They did really good job casting, like, when you see the side-by-sides. I also like that... Um, Rami Malik is actually Middle Eastern African. He's mm-hmm. Egyptian, where Freddie Mercury was from Zanzibar. Which is now Tunisia, I think. 
Yes. Tanzania. It's it's a place that starts with a T. I saw it in the notes here. Oh. I don't know. There's okay. there's a lot here. Um, I think Tanzania is right. Tunisia does not sound right. Like we just watched this, but yeah, right. <laughs> we just watched two two hour movies back to back. Right. <laughs> I didn't realize they were two hours. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sure are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as the casting, you know, one of the strongest opinions I have about this movie that I was let down with, um, and it was it was it still is a little hard for me to get past it. So, uh, many, it's pretty well known that when this movie was first announced in, I believe like 2011, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was to play Freddie Mercury. I, I think like, I think he has the right look. Definitely. Yeah. and, And he can sing. Yes. If you've seen, Sweeney Todd, as much as I love Sweeney Todd, we here on the Fighting Films podcast don't really want to go into a discussion about Johnny Depp and the charges against him. And we will also not be talking about Amber Heard because she's not getting the same treatment as Johnny Depp. And it's a whole big... uh, catastrophe but Sweeney Todd is an amazing movie that I absolutely love and Sasha Baron Cohen did a fantastic job in it mm-hmm. we once tricked college boys to go to it with us with the fact that they'd seen the theatrical like releases <laughs> and did not realize it was a musical <laughs> <laughs> and we just politely omitted it Whoops. <laughs> you guys do what you gotta do Right. Mm-hmm. It was a good film. Do not yeah. regret. <laughs> oh yeah, I I still watch it. I still love it. It's so good. Like the song Joanna pops into my head randomly. Like it's it's so good. But we won't be talking about the main actor in the movie. Well, we could just rein it in and not talk about any of them currently. Hmm. So anyway, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, so so he was the original choice when um, the movie was first announced. Yeah, and uh, the the original director was to have been the uh, 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 I love I love and this this we'll check up on this for later. Uh, uh, Dexter Fletcher. Oh yeah. Was uh to have been was the original choice for the director for this movie. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, after uh Cohen's departure then yeah, he was selected and he uh rem- and Fletcher then dropped out after disagreements with uh a pr- with producer Graham King. Mm-hmm. This whole this whole film is very much an example of the concept of development hell. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, there's a whole a great Wikipedia article about that where a movie or project in general, a creative project just does not move past the development phases for years. It drags on for years and years, usually due to uh infighting with the producers is common. Yeah. 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 What did you say, Madonna? 
So I was reading trivia facts off of IMDb because uh, apparently that is the website to use for a film show. I know. Crazy thoughts. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I was reading is that a uh, Brian Singer was one of the directors, but Brian May also didn't think that Conan or oh, oh my gosh, Cohen. Sasha Barra. Baron Cohen. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I- I can't say his name. Sasha Baron Cohen. It's a long one. Yeah. Um, Couldn't play serious enough. Yeah, that's that's something I was worried about when I first heard about him. Like, he's got the look. Like, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. But I, I don't think I've ever seen him in an actual serious role. I mean, he he was in the um, what one of the best picture nominations uh, from this year, the one about the the Chicago Ten. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Okay, yeah, he was in that, and he was nominated for an Oscar, and he was really good in that. I I know he's been nominated before, but it just I I don't think I've seen him play anything serious. I mean, I think you could give him props for being, like, his minor role in uh, Sweeney Todd. But that that was also big bravado. It is big. Like, like the, the costume was very standout. He played a grifter, a very much, look at me, I'm better than most of you, buy my product. True. So, you know, he still mm-hmm. had that aspect of it. I could see that. Yeah. And either way, Cohen left production due to creative differences because he wanted it to be like a gritty R-rated uh, bio, kind of like the the one we're going to talk about next. Mm-hmm. And the producers wanted to go for more PG or PG-13, which, I mean, can understand that. But I, you know. Did. You know, uh, uh, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody was PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty hard PG thirteen, it seemed. Well, it also seemed like uh, kind of what I had heard that they, well, it, not even just that, but the so Brian May and one of the other gentlemen are um, still like own ownership or have rights to a lot of the music and they were kind of holding out and didn't want it to be a movie about they didn't want to make queen a movie about freddie mercury because queen is a whole band yeah Mm -hmm. um and you know they still travel and tour as queen um with frontman adam lambert who I have seen in concert and it's still a really great concert. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was ever a person to step up in Freddie Mercury's absence, Adam Lambert is the right choice. Like there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. He's got the style. He's got the attitude. He's got the range. He's got the voice like he he's just so fantastic and it was an awesome show to see um unfortunately the person i went with was not a queen fan and just an adam lambert fan 
And so it was kind of, they were kind of a downer at it. And they were like, oh, is he ever going to do any of his stuff? And I'm like, we, we're here to see Queen. Like, <laughs> no. Right. Um, but yeah, Adam Lambert did a phenomenal job and is literally the only choice I can think of to stand in for Freddie Mercury. I would agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, so, you know, then the, the band is formed at this point. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, you know, supporting the, I mean, the, the, if you want to call them the supporting bandmates, which, you know, they were a band is equal in its parts. Yes. When you play your own instruments. Uh, well, the one, they come together to form the music mm-hmm. and the songs, and they all kind of wrote together and put songs together. And like you could see in, you know, the when they were recording, they were trying all different kinds of weird stuff, you know, playing pots and pans and putting mm-hmm. a bucket over the microphone and all sorts of stuff. That's signs of great musicians. Yes. Let's try all the different stuff. And I love how they set up the recording studio on the, in the farm on the, the barn. Yep. That was great. Yep. They had to get out and just, you know, make music together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I still have to say, I don't fully agree that it's a hard PG 13, um, because it, it didn't, really concentrate on you know any heavy drinking or drug use or um any like super heavy like sexual scenarios Mm -hmm. or anything um where it just kind of covered it the focus was more on freddie mercury but it covered the band as well and mm-hmm. on your like censorship issue or like labeling PG thirteen, yeah, is I just find that the whole like like the ways that they create these ratings is kind of ridiculous. Um, we could do a whole episode about that. <laughs> Did you uh, quote the um, this film is not rated? I love that movie. It's so good. Like, have you ever seen it, Jesse? I haven't. It's, it's phenomenal. Like it it, it yeah. kind of puts out a lot of the hypocrisy of the rating system. Like, they're, mm-hmm. and they talk about it versus a gaming ra- rating system where, like, video games are rated based on, like, what actually happens in them, where they find the Film Academy kind of bases it off of the group of white people that are in it and what they find offensive. Okay. Yep. I, I'm frustrated with um, white people in power in the movie business, especially the ones regarding uh, awards and whatnot. Oh, but don't you know that we have the best opinions and only our opinions matter? Right. Oh, I'm just frustrated. Like, a few years ago, like, I forget which award ceremony it was for, but basically the 
people who voted on it came out and said, well, no, we didn't watch every single movie on the ballot, da-da-da. And it's like, Mm. why the hell are you voting on it then? I feel like that is not how you actually vote on things. No. Opinions. Right? I feel like that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it just it's it's frustrating. But to say the least. Yeah. I think we could spend days talking about how we <laughs> can find issues with the film industry because it is ridiculous. And I love things that they produce, but um I just you know, I think we could go on for days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, one of the things I've been most excited about to discuss with this movie is uh, my that actor. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, you may not have heard of you may not have heard of Joseph Mezzolo, who played uh, John Deacon, the bass guitarist. Okay. Of Queen, uh, he is best known for the role of Tim in Jurassic Park. One of my no favorite way. movies of all time. Yep. Oh my god. That, that's him. He uh, last year during lockdown, him and some other I, I I don't remember who it was associated with Jurassic Park. It might have been just like a podcast host, but they did a live stream where they watched the movie, <laughs> and you know he commented. It was like it was just beautiful. Uh, and he talked about how a lot of kids came up to him and they were like, you know, I wanted to be you so bad, even though you were in danger. It looked like <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm really. And I'm bummed that he is not going to be in a, he's not making an appearance in Dominion, the new one mm-hmm. coming out next year, which like all the rest of the cast is. Cause I really want to know what his character is up to. What's. Oh, for Jurassic park. Dominion. Yeah. Jurassic world. I mean, Oh, okay. Yes, please be specific, because right. I, I don't follow the same thread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he um, he's had a pretty prolific uh, career. He's shifting a little bit to uh, directing now. He was in, for instance, uh, before Jurassic Park Radio Fly- Flyer. Have either of you seen that? What? I Ra- cannot see that. Okay. Jurassic Park Radio Flyer? No, no, just called Radio Flyer. I oh, said before okay. Jurassic Park. Sorry. <laughs> I got so confused. I'm like, are they going around the park in a wagon? Is that a video game? <laughs> That's like an interesting episode or an interesting movie. They just have like a little like red wagon flyer. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it'd be shorter. Just because I feel like they wouldn't have the same escapability count. Right. I I don't know. I could see it. I could see it, you know, flying up over the edge of a cliff and going down the side and, you know, floating in the water. And one of their little plastic wheels breaks off and rolls no! down the hill. No! <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the, like, uh, that show in the 90s, uh, The Critic. Either to remember that show. It stinks. <laughs> it stinks. One of the movies <laughs> they did a really funny parody of Jurassic Park, where like the the raptor, they're like the raptors know how to open doors, and they like like knock the key out of the door and like pull the rug and <laughs> open it. <that> <laughs> I imagine this parody would be something like that. Um, 
fancy smart or something like that. Right. I just he, thinking about a little red wagon, I worry about overhead coverage. <laughs> like like maybe you could get one of those nylon tents to go over the top so you'd have some camouflage, but I don't think it would work too well if like a T-Rex was bearing down and actually trying to eat you. I mean, you know, the whole idea of that it's a wagon and it is self propelled it is like people propelled. Yes. Big issue. <laughs> <laughs> but once you get going down that hill, you have an advantage. Yes, I mean I think- as long as you can steer. <laughs> <laughs> How do you steer her in a red wagon? Because I'm pretty sure I do not remember there being very well, doesn't it doesn't like the 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 pulley okay. or like you can pull that up and yeah, doesn't that I have never tried. Okay. So, from what I remember, it's not the greatest tool for that. Um, yeah. I I was going to say, we could consult Kelvin. Kelvin and Hobbes. I mean, they (laughs) they seem to have a decent time of it. You know, you can never go wrong with a comic book strip as a source of physics. Right? (laughs) Definitely. I mentioned the fact that I love that Brian May was an astrophysicist. Or is. Technically is. is. Yes. Yes. And still has the fro, but it is white now. Yeah, I've seen that. Yep. (laughs) He did say he's never going to change his hair. No. Stuck to his guns. Oh, yeah. And his hair. Did either of you two ever see uh, the River Wild? No. Okay, because he was also in that. That's like uh, this like Whitewater Rapids movie. Uh, that's like this like heist film kind of with like he's the kid. I mean, he's obviously it was a year after Jurassic Park, so he's still a kid. It's like like Meryl Streep is the mom, and I love I love it when Meryl Streep doesn't take herself so seriously. Yes, and this is one of those kind of roles. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's like him and then like Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley are like the bad guys and they like take this family hostage. But it's like a nineties kind of, you know, fun action romp. You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the he was very well known for their romps. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And he was also in uh The Cure, which I've never seen it. It was filmed in Stillwater. Yeah, it's with that him and hit, for me. Yeah, him and uh, Brad Renfro. Oh, R.I.P. Brad Renfro. Right. He was one of my biggest teenage crushes. Like he was cute. Wasn't it him, Devin Sawa, and uh, JT? JTT. JTT. Yeah, that was like the trio. Yeah. I would always mix up Brad Renfro and Devin Sawa. What? How? I would always confuse. They, they do not look alike. I well, will, they, they kind of had that same like '90s <laughs> hunk vibe. I there were there were a lot of floppy-haired <laughs> white boys in the '90s. Um, the, Brad, the middle Brad part. Brad the middle part, middle yeah. Brad Which Brad I tried Brad to rock Brad. briefly, and it didn't work. And the bowl cut. You can't forget the bowl cut. Yes. Oh God! I, I I never try. I never tried that. I never did that. I will Good. say that. Um, But yeah, Brad Renfro definitely had more of a bad boy kind of vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've we've talked about him before on this show. 
Um, I mean, he played Huck Finn in Tom and Huck with JTT, and he was in Apt Pupil, and he was he was I in love Apt Pupil. Love Apt Pupil. Before, unfortunately, completing suicide. Mm-hmm. And then did not even get a credit at the um, the in memoriam at the Oscars that year. Well, I mean, he he wasn't terribly Oscar known. Well, I think you have to be in the Screen Actors Guild for that, which he might not have been. Yeah, he he was real young. Right? Yeah. And he was in not, was it the Basketball Diaries? Nope, that was um, Kevin Sa- or Devin Sawa. He, no, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah, but I think he was also in that. Possibly. There was like a slew of these boys in that. And now I have to look it up. He was not... He wasn't. Nope. Oh, but uh, the client. Have you seen that? No. That's a really, really good '90s thriller. Mm. So, The Cure. How does this sound for an uplifting story? The film stars Brad Renfro and Joseph Meslo, who play two teenage boys searching for the cure for AIDS, from which one of them is suffering. Lovely. Yeah, I'd have. I don't know anyone else who's seen it, but I want to see it just because it was filmed in Stillwater. Uh. Joseph Mezzala was also in Simon Birch. Wonderful. Oh, I do remember that. Yep. And his most, other than Bohemian Rhapsody, his most recent role, at least in his adulthood, is uh, The Social Network. He played Dustin Moskowitz, one of the the co-founders of Facebook. And accurately, it should be accurately said at the time, he was the youngest self-made billionaire not Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, wow. He was younger than him by like two weeks. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he is my that actor. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the other appearance I remember, of course, we got to talk about the... Uh, Ray Foster scene played by Mike Myers. That's my that actor. Oh, take it away. So, yep, obviously Michael Myers was the... Mike Myers. Myers. Michael Myers is a killer. You are correct. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just gotta love the fact that brains work funny. Well, Um, I mean, (laughs) it's it's a common name, but as, as I said earlier, he does not walk slowly and brandish a knife. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, the reason I really loved that he is that actor is obviously if you grew up in the 90s and watched Wayne's World, you know that he is one of the key actors in Wayne's World. Wayne's World, Wayne's World. Um, but, and also if you grew up in the 90s, you knew Bohemian Rhapsody from Wayne's World. And And this movie ties it in so well that this is such a meta moment. It is because um, he's talking about how nobody will rock out to that song in their car. Yeah. <laughs> which is what happened in Wayne's world. And it is because of Mike Myers. He almost walked from Wayne's world because they would not put that movie, that song in. Yep. Yep. And so the actual quote from the movie, Ray Foster says, we need a song. Teenagers can bang their heads to in a car. Bohemian Rhapsody is not that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Queen had a resurgence in popularity because of that movie. 
Oh, yeah. Yep. That's what I most associate them with. Pretty much. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did not learn who Queen was until I was in high school. And like I had seen Wayne's World but not really paid attention to it. I was I think I was too young to actually see it. Um I don't oh. know. I don't know when it came out specifically. It was 92 and it was the first yeah. PG-13 movie I ever saw. Pretty much when it came out on VHS, my mom was a, I, my mom and dad have always been big SNL fans, especially my mom, and she loved it. Yeah, my mom was a big SNL fan too, but she was back in the Jim Belushi days. So, like, I grew up on you know cheeseburger, cheeseburger, Pepsi, cheeseburger, and uh, you know the shark at the door and stuff like that. We didn't really. I wasn't really allowed to watch Jane SNL. Insufferable slut. <laughs> or you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and people like me. Like me. Darn it, people like me. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So Mike Myers, obviously SNL. I definitely did not see it when it came out, but I, for some reason, everybody remembers this scene, and I remember seeing it young and just being like that song. Mm-hmm. I. I do have to mention that there's one part when his accent is coming out. I, I think it's when he's getting angry where he really sounds like Shrek. I'm like, oh man, Shrek's a Yes. Yes. <laughs> Shrek or um uh fat bastard. Which are yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't usually think about fat bastard. Mm. If I can avoid it, I will. I, I like <laughs> I like Shrek a lot more. Mm-hmm. I don't like the backstory of Shrek, but I like Shrek a lot more. The backstory of Shrek? Yeah, so Chris Farley was originally supposed to play Shrek, and oh, yeah. a lot of the movie was completed with Chris Farley, including a lot of the animation was done in his likeness, and... A good number of the lines were done already, and when Chris Farley died slash completed suicide, which is a toss-up and questionable, but more or less what happened, um, they basically had to go through, find a new actor, and redraw Shrek and re-record lines and everything. So, it... Mm -hmm. I love Shrek and the Shrek movies, and they're a lot of fun. It just... What is a strong word for Shrek? Okay, Shrek 2 is bomb.com. Like, (laughs) I love Shrek 2. That's my favorite of... I agree. My favorite of the four. Yes. Is that the one with the princesses? Like, the princesses make more of an appearance, is what I am trying to state. And Snow White with the birds. I think oh, so. No. I want to say that's, like, I think three. Okay. Two is where they go to the castle, right? And meet her parents. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So two is my favorite. And then three is after they're married and living together. And I think that's where we see the princesses. I thought that was when they had babies. 
It is. Or maybe babies didn't come along until four. I mean, there are so many. The dronky babies. Oh, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I I don't mind Shrek. I'm not a hater on it, but I feel like it became the land before uh, land before time for DreamWorks. Okay, but there are like twelve of those. That's okay. more. I, th- I think. Um, well, I guess it's, I was gonna say Ice Age, but that's more like Fox. Yeah. That became like the land before time. But even though Ice Age only has like four or five. Yeah, they, I, think, I think five. They have milked uh, land before time. Far too often for it to be like, yeah. Honestly, mm-hmm. with what happened to the actor who played Ducky, they shouldn't have oh. gone this one. Oh, I know. Mm. But we won't touch on that. So, yeah. Mike Myers. Yeah. So he was my that guy. Mm-hmm. Cool. Y'all okay. didn't mention uh, Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, I I think I was a little burnt out on Austin Powers by the time the third one came out. And well, the third one was like a parody of itself. It had become at that time. Yeah, um, I, I do have the Austin Powers three film collection um, only because I have a massive movie collection. Um, I, it's one of those movies I like, I will never seek it out, but if it's on TV, I will devote time to it. Like if I mm-hmm. find it on TV, like I'll watch the first one once in a while. Yeah. Maybe the second one uh, probably won't touch the third one, but with Austin powers that they didn't do with Shrek is Everybody didn't run around going, yeah, baby, yeah, do I make you horny, Landy? And, oh, my God. Well, yeah, it's PG. <laughs> well, yeah, but just everybody was going around quoting it. And then, you know, some of the characters I didn't like. I didn't like Fat Bastard. I didn't like, what, Gold Member who ate his skin flake. Oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, ew. No thanks. No. As as someone who lives with psoriasis. High five on weird random shit you have to deal with. Yeah, as as one of the health issues that I have, um, I have psoriasis, which if you don't know what it is, it is an autoimmune disorder which causes uh, your skin to um flake be red and itchy sometimes you secrete like gunk because it is so itchy yep or my mom used to tell me i had alligator skin because i would have to have my i would get it so bad in certain areas yep or if you let it dry for too long it can start to hurt um oh god i was explaining that to somebody too i'm like I live in baby oil. And they're like, that's a little weird. I was like, no, it's not. My skin hates me. Yeah. Um, And I actually have three different kinds of psoriasis. There are five or six different ones. And so to see a character meant as a joke 
who peels off his dead skin and eats it is pretty disgusting. Not my fave. Not my no, fave. I've I've been dealing with psoriasis since I was in middle school. I think that's kind of why I don't love Fat Bastard either. Because yeah. it's the let's make fat people funny. Yeah. Right. And, you know, as much as a trope as it is, it's not my fave. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of Fat Bastard either. Like, I don't laugh at the fat jokes, but, like, his asshole stuff that he says, some of it is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Like the get in my belly. But then that's also, for me, it's along the lines of, you know, fat people eat any and everything and can't stop. And Yeah, it's very problematic. Yeah. I will it, was, it was the late 90s. It, it's Hollywood, which they Society. don't know. Society. Yeah, they they aren't in touch with the rest of people, I guess. Generalized the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Mike Myers was in this movie in a small part, and he did fantastic. Mm-hmm. He because Mike Myers does good in a lot of things. Yeah, so he uh, his role in this movie um, was a record producer who did not... There was, like, a song limit on songs on the radio, and that's why he wouldn't put Bohemian Rhapsody through, and he thought it was absolutely ridiculous and that nobody would listen to it or enjoy it because it was all over the board, Um and so they, uh, Queen and their managers actually had to work kind of hard to get Bohemian Rhapsody played. Um, and it, it took off like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at this history versus Hollywood, uh, page again. And one of the questions on there is, did Queen really take a risk with their song Bohemian Rhapsody? Um, and just, I'm just gonna kind of cherry pick out of here, but it says at five minutes, 55 seconds in length, the unconventional rock song was long and risked being rejected by radio stations. Uh, in order to reach the most people possible, they recorded a flashy kaleidoscopic video to accompany the song. It proved to be a genius promotional strategy well before the days it was done regularly on MTV. Um, the Bohemian Rhapsody music video helped to make them overnight global superstars, and the song remained at number one on the UK singles chart for nine weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they yeah. they did take a risk on it, you know. Um, I think that's a show of like Queen itself's um, just like understanding of music and creativity, and like taking in what was going on at the time and being like, this is how we can make it better. Yeah. And they weren't afraid to take risks, which is really great. Um, I got to ask, have any of you heard that song that they kept talking about? Like, I love my car or whatever it was. Um, I'm not. I have because it was on random when I was listening to Queen. But no, it is. I have not. I can safely say I have not either. Like I've not heard that. Every song in 
this movie, Madonna and I were singing along to because there are so many well-known Queen songs out there. But I've literally never heard of this I Love My Car or whatever the hell mm-hmm. car song it is. That's what what's what's now called a deep cut. Well, yeah. But it just it's, you know, for them to bring it up so much, I I would think it would be something that is a little more well known, but you know, maybe it is one that they tried to push. Well, it could be, it, it's not even that it's a well known one, but maybe it was like the at the time, if like it was very much in that genre of like it fit in the box that it they were fit looking in the box for. Right. And it was over sexualization without saying the naughty things yeah and so i it could be just it was a plight against it because they did put it on the record and like so many record execs maybe did were like yeah we should go with this one and it was like no yeah so more or less um executives wanting to play it safe mm-hmm. and yeah. just sell records what and they as thought would sell yeah right yeah and so as Queen is uh, making it big, thanks to Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, we see a lot of uh, Freddie's relationships. You know, first his uh, girlfriend, so to say, uh, whose name Mary, Mary Austin. Mary Austin. Mary Austin. Who is my MVP for this movie. Um, I thought she did a fantastic job. Um, this movie and Freddie Mercury would not be himself if not for her. You mm-hmm. know, she was his best th- friend throughout most of his life. You know, um, when he went to visit her at the shop in the movie, you know, he he was looking at an item of clothing and she's like, Oh, this is the women's section. And he's like, he started to get embarrassed and she's like, you know, no, you know, try it on. And Oh, can I put makeup on you? And I feel it really kind of opened up Freddie Mercury to be more bold and be who he wanted to be. Definitely. Um, and, And, you know, at one point she was engaged to him and, you know, um, he came out to her. The the line in the movie is, you know, I I, I'm bisexual. And she goes, no, Freddie, you're gay. Like Mm -hmm. and, you know, throughout their lives, you know, they were still very close friends. And even at the end of his life, he bequeathed, you know, most of his um estate to her and his cats he didn't mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and i gotta say the the two how the separate house arrangement thing but right next door yeah you know that that doesn't sound so bad wasn't that what um uh tim burton and helena bottom carter did i don't know but i know um Every once in a while, it'll pop up in the news that, like, a bunch of people bought, like, a bunch of houses right next to each other. And, you know. Like friends so they can, like, retire together. Exactly. I'm Mm. like, you know what? Just find a cul-de-sac that they're building houses and everybody just get one. Like, 
I feel like that's a good plan. Like, then you know you'll like your neighbors. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do love my neighbors, so I can't complain, like, on that front. You do have good neighbors, it seems. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, Mary Austin and the girl who played her um, did a fantastic job. She looks very much like the original Mary Austin. But the uh, actress um, who played her is named Lucy Boynton. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is very pretty. Um, she did a wonderful job in this role. Um, looking at her filmography, she was in uh, The Politician. Um she was in Murder on the Orient Express, which I still have yet to see. Really good. Um, on my list. But the ones that I noticed, she was in Don't Knock Twice and I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. So a couple of good uh, ho- slow burn horror movies there. Um, They'll sound like murder mystery. Like, like, yeah, no, like... They're, they're more supernatural. Mm. Um. I, I have definitely seen the first one. Um, I I have the second one on my list of things to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also on an episode of Law and Order UK. So I mean, that's that's a thing. I mean, who hasn't been on Law and Order? But I didn't know Law, Law and Order had a UK. Oh yeah, that's... they've they've got a bunch of branches. I actually just <laughs> read. One that was in development just got squashed. I saw that. Yeah. Out. <laughs> there was a, but, a there was a Family Guy where like Peter walks in, and he's like, "Hey, Lois, what 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 season of Law and what sp- what sh- a spinoff of Law and Order is? Oh, this is Law and Order PCP OIT and TMP Petty Crimes Against Municipal Property in Excess of Five Thousand Dollars. <laughs> well, they're spraying graffiti. That's going to be tough to remove." <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this actress has 30 credits to her name. So I think she's doing all right for, you know, a younger actress. Yeah. And I want to point out to Mercury's immediate family who, you know, we mentioned, you know, not a non-supportive family, which, uh, you know, I feel like this was way more in the in rocket man we'll get to that check off on that yeah um i mean i thought you know for considering you know from you know immigrant parents i i thought they were pretty good especially at the end especially his mom jair bulsara i remember so she she died about five years ago at age 90 wow and there were like in the the uh, gay the LGBTQ plus uh, news publications like Advocate actually had articles about her death. Okay. And it was like you know thank you for you know raising such a wonderful son. There were a lot of a lot of great tributes to her. So you know, yeah. Yeah. She... I... Sorry. Um, I was just gonna say like. Though they were better and more seemingly loving parents than Elton John's, um, they still just just kind of um, 
swept what he was doing just kind of off, didn't really talk about it. And they were like, you know, oh, you know, what's wrong with the name we gave you? You know, why do you have to dress like that? You know, you're not going to be... Why don't you go to school? Do you want to be a package handler forever? Like, it just... I, They... It felt like they wanted a more traditional mm-hmm. path for... Freddie Mercury. I feel like that is a common trend between from like immigrants. Yes, and and, generation. and this was the seventies too. Remember? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was a different time. I know, you know. I don't always like to use that excuse, um, but no, for that you. reason, for that reason, uh, she is my MVP of this movie. Oh, yeah, and I guess you know in. I mean, other than the obvious, you know, members of Queen and Mercury himself, but I feel like that'd be too, too cliche. Okay. Well, you just, um, earlier you told me Freddie's parents, so I didn't know if you wanted to talk about his dad at all. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, his dad was the one that gave him the hug towards the end, remember? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. like his dad kind of seemed like again he wanted traditionalism, but his big focus was just being a generally good person versus you know not disliking what he did, but being like, how are you contributing? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you mentioned you know the uh, one of my favorite quotes in this movie is when. Uh, you know, Freddie is fighting with his bandmates before he announces he's leaving and going solo. It was that part, right? It was where, so, where he's like, you know, if it wasn't for me, you know, you would be a dentist. Oh, yeah. You know, or you would be a doctor. So it's like, in other words, I wrote in my notes, without me, you all, dot, 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 would still be successful professionally. Um, I mean, I, allegedly. I agree with that to a point um they they were obviously they obviously had a life plan and were playing music on the side but with freddie mercury coming through and kind of seeming to be the driving force to be more musically inclined you know, he he was going through naming these professions that these guys would otherwise be. Um, And so, you know, one's an astrophysicist. One is, uh, he doesn't even know what one guy is, and he's like an engineer. That was Um, a deacon, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and so, like, they, they obviously had other, you know, life aspirations. Mm hmm well, and I, I don't know if, know if like, like the idea that Freddie Mercury was the driving force, but the thing that made them click and, like, cemented them into a band that worked well together. Um, It just, it kind of seemed to me like people, the guys in the band would be like, you know, oh, well, I don't know about this. And Freddie Mercury was like, of course we can do this. And they're like, okay, we'll try it. And so it, it just seemed like they were more 
apprehensive and needed that push. Well, okay. So I'm mm-hmm. going to disagree with you on this just because I did like the fact that in the movie they talk about various parts where it's songs that the other people created and how they helped create that. Cause like one of the main songs was the, we will rock you mm-hmm. and it wasn't Mercury's idea for it. It was, uh, Brian's because he wanted to interact with the crowd more. Mm-hmm. So I think like, I see what you're saying, but I like, and that's one thing I really liked about the movie is that it wasn't the Freddie Mercury show and how he was the main fo- like he is the main focus, but like the he wasn't the only creator in no. it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not what I was saying. Um, I, I guess I'm saying more like he's the. You feel like he's the one who took like supported doing the risky stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like he, he said several times, there's nobody as outrageous as me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's very true. Um, I just, you know, I don't think they would have taken so many risks and gone as far without Freddie Mercury. I don't think they would have. I mean, I think without Freddie Mercury, this is, you know, perfect, like all hearsay. Cause you know, of course these are our opinions. Yeah. Um, I don't think they would have gotten as far either. Um, and I'm going to be cliche and say that Freddie Mercury was my MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that, uh, Rami Malik played him so well, and I think without him and that character portrayal, it wouldn't have pushed the movie anywhere. Like mm. you, you're talking about how he was like the key, fi- like the piece that they were missing to make them a great band, and I think that's true. Yeah, more or less. I mean, they they did, you know, have their own parts, like um, the. Blonde one, I forget his name, um, singing the high part in Bohemian Rhapsody, Mm -hmm. you know, and Freddie being behind the glass saying higher, go higher, go higher. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, and Brian May coming up with this whole audience interaction, which is amazing. They use that song at sporting events and whatnot. And you if you have ever sat in a full audience at a sporting event and that song came on holy buckets it reverberates through your entire body mm-hmm. it's definitely a like crowd maker oh yeah, it, yeah. it's going to get you up and moving and like it's it's that anthem for like interaction yeah. and like right. it's so weird because when I was little we actually would sing that song on my third grade bus. And like, (laughs) I remember like really getting into it and not knowing that it was queen or who queen was. I just remember loving that song. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it did. They did things and they were all very creative and like played off of each other. And I think they were supportive in being exploring other options. Yep. Um, I'm actually going to uh, spin off of 
um, what you were talking about in knowing the songs and not necessarily knowing it's Queen, but they had so many hits. They, people young and old knew them. As I said to Madonna earlier, they were legends while they were still making music. Um, mm-hmm. They're phenomenal. But like even looking at, um, oh gosh, media, uh, TV and movies. And, you know, there are, you would be able to find Queen in a good number of movies. Um, like I, I can think of uh, two right off the top of my head, Killer Queen in Shaun of the Dead, which we've talked about on this show. But then um, one of them that I'm going to admit is a guilty pleasure. I do love this movie, Ella Enchanted with Anne Hathaway. Don't don't you laugh at me. Uh, I'm not um, saying anything. I've never seen it. Oh No, I'm totally laughing at her. I get it. And pointing. Yeah. I get <laughs> that. It's like, I understand that it is like your like sappy, like, I love this. I don't love that movie. But I under, I'm not going to behoove you for liking it and that being your Uh, no I I love that movie and it also has Carrie Ellis in it so jog on Um, (laughs) (laughs) but um, Anne Hathaway Ella Enchanted does a uh, cover of Somebody to Love um, because she is told to uh, sing for these orcs trolls large um large race of humanoid fantasy beings um but yes i you know i like that but again it's a queen song you know and so you can you can find queen still happening you know as as i said queen is still touring with adam lambert who spin-off again, is my that actor. Um, he did have a quick appearance in this movie. Yes, he um, did. If you look at your phone, you would miss him. Uh, or blink, basically, and you would miss him. Um, it's where Freddie Mercury stopped at a truck stop, and a trucker is walking into a building, and he kind of uh, makes eyes at Freddie Mercury while he's on the phone with Mary and uh then he walks away and that was adam lambert uh in incognito i'm going to say because it was very much not adam lambert style uh he is not credited in this movie um i feel like that's one of those like i did it because i wanted to be a part of it roles versus i'm doing it because i want to be in the like i want to be a part of it it's just like, I just love this band so much. I just, if I can just, like, show up. Mm-hmm. I I think he was already a part of Queen when this was being made. So I think it was kind of like a fun little... Nod to the future. Easter egg to put yep. in. Because it does not look like him at all. And so, you know, it it it's cool that, you know, he's in there. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have a line, so he doesn't have to be credited. So, um, to kind of take a step back to the, like, everybody, they're so prolific. It's, 
it's one of those bands that I'm just like, I feel like nobody can really dislike Queen because everybody has at least one song that they know by them that they enjoy. And they have so much, like, just encompassing songs that it's it's hard mm-hmm. to find somebody yeah. who just yeah. doesn't like them. Yep. And Jess, while we were talking about Shaun of the Dead, how could we not, you know, mention uh, Don't Stop Me Now? Right. On yes. the scene, yep, which which is not sung by Elton John. No. <laughs> Throw back no, to that not. episode for our regular listeners, the my 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 faux pas. Oops. <laughs> and so so the movie goes on and we all knew it was coming in a Freddie Mercury bio. He is diagnosed as HIV positive. What? No, I'm sorry. I just had to because we, it, it is such a known fact. Mm-hmm. Remember, AIDS is funny now. It's been 21.3 years, according to that South Park episode. AIDS is never funny. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So, you know, he goes through, you know, the the tribulations, you know, where he wants to give up and all that, you know, and he he does for a while. Well, they they uh, kind of go their own ways for a while. Um, right. Freddie goes off on a solo gig, um, and the boys in the band need a break. So right. you know, they they go their own ways, and um, Freddie is so wrapped up in you know himself and all of this. Um, he doesn't realize that his manager, lover, boy toy. I don't think he was guy. ever his manager. It seemed like he was like the. He, he the, was. The band? Oh, he was a manager? Yep. Okay. I yep. was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Manager in quotes, perhaps. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't a good guy. Um, no. I hated him the whole movie. Yeah. Another I, another similarity to the uh, next movie we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Check yes. off yeah. And God, actually, that guy was such a piece of shit. Uh, I hated him. Yeah. Actually, at one point, um, Elton John and Freddie Mercury had a manager or some some recording big wig along the way. Um, the same person. Um, that I caught, which was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Um, oh yeah. And in each movie there's, uh, you know, a part where they throw a guy out of their car. Um, yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, um, Freddie Mercury finds out that his manager like kept news of this huge show from him. Well, and he kept people away, and I think yeah. he was mm-hmm. realizing that he they, he was taking them away from him, or he was taking that him away from them. Yeah, like basically, all this manager wanted to do was um, drink, do drugs, have sex, spend Freddie's money, um, and Freddie just started becoming more and more lonely. I hated him that character so much. Yeah. Oh. 
And like, there's one point Mary came over because she was worried about Freddie and the manager asshole walks in in like a leather jacket and like a handful of people ready to party, which also happened in Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, you know, parading Freddie or showing Freddie off as a show pony or showing yeah. off as a show pony. Um, and so, you know, uh, long story short, quick fast forward, you know, uh, Freddie, um, sorry, this is your movie. I shouldn't be taking it from you. <laughs> no, I know how much, how much you love it. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, anyway, Freddie confronts his manager about Live Aid. Yep. And, uh, you know, basically, yeah, you know, promptly, you know, uh, fires him, literally yeah. kicks him out in the rain, literally leaves, leaves him in the rain, whatever that expression is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then, you know, he starts discussing it with, uh, his bandmates and he shares his diagnosis and, you know, his words where it's like, I'm not gonna spend my last days dying. I want to make music. You know, I want to do this, this, and this. And Don't. it's just like, don't waste your pity on me. Right. Yeah. Well, and then, like, I was reading, again, fun facts, um, that, like, the band actually didn't break up for the, no. the period. Like, they were, they all took a break because they were all tired and had been on tour for so long. Mm-hmm. Which is really common of bands. Like, a lot of people think, you know, band, like, a lot of people think, like, the Backstreet Boys have broken up for long periods of time. I'm like, no, 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 they have not. They've always been together. They just, you know, took breaks or went on hiatus or whatever. You mean like lived a life because you get tired of the same thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this site again. Um, and one of the questions on here is, did Freddie Mercury's personal manager, Paul Prenter, betray him? And um, it says, yes, in real life. He was Freddie Mercury's pers- personal manager from 1977 to 1986, so almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the <sighs> the band members in Queen didn't like him and called him a bad influence. Um, and he was fired by Mercury for actually selling the singer's personal information to UK newspapers. Wow, he was even worse in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this included information about their own on-and-off affair, the singer's lifestyle as a gay man, noting how Mercury's former lovers were dying of AIDS. Like, ugh, this guy was just slime. Well, even in the movie, like, he, they make the offhand comment of, like, him being, like, some sort of packy immigrant, and it's, like, he's not even from... Pakistan. Yeah. You racist Right. Um, and it it says that Printer himself died of AIDS related complications in August nineteen ninety one, just three months before Mercury passed. Mm-hmm. So I mean he I hate to say he got his comeuppance, but it's yeah. hard to feel sympathy for somebody who used somebody for so long. Right. That and I don't want to call AIDS a comeuppance. Yeah, really. Um, right. It was because a was, lot of people, a lot of people did call it that back then. 
but they also used it as homophobic. Um, it's the mm-hmm. disease you get for being the way you are. Right. God's yeah. curse on homosexuals. Yeah, which yeah. which is you know why I don't want to say it to come up in, but this guy was so slimy and disgusting. Like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we understand. Like, I don't, I don't want to say yay, but also yay. Mm-hmm. A taste of your own medicine, but I'm sorry that. I'm not trying to diminish the whole like AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Right. And it, it sucks that AIDS is still a thing now, but mm-hmm. apparently what I've read on the internet and what I have heard is if you're rich, you can get a cure for it. Um, I mean, magic Johnson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can totally believe everything you read on the internet kids. Right. But- Magic Johnson has HIV, which is very much more ma- like is a yeah. more manageable disease. To, yes, to the AIDS point. Yeah, I mean, if you and if you manage HIV early, it you you can you can live a, a comfortable, healthy life. Mercury, of course, found a loving partner in Jim Hutton. Yes, yeah, and actually, um one inaccuracy the movie had was that uh, Jim Hutton was not a uh, butler server at one of Mercury's parties. He was actually a hairdresser at the Savoy hotel nearby who met Mercury at a nightclub. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I actually, that's also on this uh, real faces page. I found, I, I really like this real face um, page and I, I'm going to put it in the notes when this comes out. But um, they talked about Jim as well. They said they said the movie has them fictionally meeting when Hutton is working as a server at a hedonistic party hosted by Mercury. I'm like, it didn't look that hedonistic to me. Well, but... PG-13 hedonistic. <laughs> True. Um, But I guess uh, in their, in between them meeting and getting together, they, uh, Hutton did reject him in the beginning and they would, you know, have late night talks and this and that. Um, And actually Hutton didn't recognize Freddie Mercury when he met him. And um, I guess Mercury tried to buy him a drink the first time and he declined. And then about a year and a half later, they ran into each other at a nightclub and uh, Freddie offered to buy him a drink again and Hutton accepted. And uh, I guess after Freddie Mercury told Hutton that he had AIDS... Um, he said he'd understand if he wanted to leave, and Hutton said, you know, I love you, Freddie. I'm not going anywhere. And I guess uh, Hutton himself was diagnosed with AIDS in 1990. Hmm. Do you know if, if he's still alive, or did he succumb? I do not know that. Hmm. Off, off the bat, maybe somebody can tell us, or we can ask the old... Google machine. 
or Lugal as they did in Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> um, Gotta avoid those uh, royalty checks that you have to pay for words. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jim yeah. Hutton, hairdresser, uh, died January 1st, 2010. Cause of death, lung cancer. Mm. But he was born and died in Carlow, Ireland. So, mm. you know, he, he, you know, uh, I guess lived full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and he wrote a book called Mercury and Me. Mm. The Google pictures are very cute. Yeah. Yeah. Did you post some in the... Uh, the uh, I should post some on the Instagram. That's what should, I should. yeah. Haven't gotten much traffic on there lately. Mm. Yeah. So then we get to the the Live Aid scene. The movie loops back to that. And this is... In my opinion, the highlight of the movie, the be- the best scene, and this is peak. I don't care what anyone says. This is peak Freddie Mercury. Yes. Right here. It is. It's just iconic. It's just the energy of the crowd. You can feel it. It's just the like incredible cinematography. It's just, it's perfectly shot, perfectly shot, perfectly is directed. It? Yeah. Yep, and so, you know, they go out with a bang, and they raise a ton of money for the organization. Yeah, they they hit over a million dollars. The guy pretty much blew it so loud, or turned it up so loud that they blew out the speakers, mm-hmm. and... Still considered one of the best live performances. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It, it's definitely one of the better concerts I have ever seen. Despite the company I was with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Luke Deacon, John Deacon's son, was actually an attendee in the crowd. In the oh. movie is what I have here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And so we learned that, yeah... Uh, Freddie Mercury passed away in 1991 of uh, AIDS-related complications, AIDS-related pneumonia, which was very common at 45. And uh, the the band hosted a the Freddie Mercury tribute concert in his honor, and you know the charity was set up to fight AIDS, and he's iconic and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Freddie Mercury is amazing. And as I was saying to Madonna, um, you know, he he was one of the um, legends who paved the way for, you know, people like Adam Lambert mm-hmm. to be they are now. That's why it's um, so fitting that he is doing what he does. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, on this you know, History versus Hollywood page, um, they actually have a uh, side-by-side of the real Live Aid versus the movie Live Aid. And, like, you can see the difference. There are way more people that were at the real Live Aid than the movie version. Mm -hmm. Um, They filmed, like, 
a set amount of people and just like copied them mm-hmm. throughout the you know they used movie magic more right. or less um i i do want to say um i uh i saw um on tv like 15 years ago uh queen live at wembley and i had my uncle record it on vhs for me um and i unfortunately lost it and it wasn't the best recording anyway but my uh my partner actually surprised me with a dvd copy of it and i i highly suggest if you can see this or even buy it it is so fantastic and the turnout for this band is just absolutely overwhelming um and it's it's I want to say like a couple hours at least, but it's just Queen doing Queen and it's live at Wembley and Wembley is a huge fucking stadium and it is just packed to the gills and it's just, it is amazing to see that big of a turnout Mm -hmm. for such a great band. So yeah, in the movie, you know, not surprising, did win uh, four Oscars. Oh, okay. That year, yeah, it did really well. It won for uh, most notably Best Actor, Rami mm-hmm. Malek. Good. Uh, film editing, sound editing, and sound mixing. And okay. was nominated for Best Picture as well. Yep. You know that's that's really good to hear because um, I know that Rami Malek did sing in the movie but his voice was mixed with freddie mercury's and then there's a canadian born singer that was mixed in there as mm. well that i don't have his name offhand but um in i guess i'm glad that rami malik did sing on it um, but I guess in comparison to Rocket Man, which we will talk about soon, um, I guess I feel like he got an assist, more or mm-hmm. less. Um, and, you know, I, I understand not everybody can carry a tune. And I'm not saying, oh, you know, you should have hired a professional singer or anything like that. I'm just saying um, I'm I'm glad they, you know, won for sound mixing and whatnot. And, you know, it it sounded fantastic. I, I guess that's the point yeah, I'm trying to make. Yeah, I, I had heard that they had mixed... Um, Remy, uh, Freddie, Remy, and uh, yeah, another act, uh, singer. And it makes sense to me because, again, like we were talking earlier, the only reason or one of the big reasons that he could reach those octaves is that he had the extra teeth expanding his top jaw or top mm-hmm. jaw. Um, so like. Most singers can't reach all those octaves. Yeah. So I feel Mm -hmm. like it, I see your, like the, I feel like the assist is warranted and I'm also glad that it was there. Okay. 
How, how do you feel about the assists, Stefan? I mean, uh, it wasn't a really a big deal to me. Okay. I was I was fine with it. I mean, there there are very few people who could even touch Freddie Mercury's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I understand the assist. Um, yeah. But overall, you know, I I really love this movie. Um, it it was really great. Was this the one that there was a person snoring through it, or was it the other one? No, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Uh, okay, that the other one. I I have yeah. <laughs> we will get to it anyway. Mm-hmm. Stefan, how did Bohemian Rhapsody fare with the critics? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, uh, its critical score was only. 60% and it's largely due to kind of the, the perceived uh, well, I mean the, they, they're not perceived. There were inaccuracies mm-hmm. with uh, the story being told and that like it didn't oh, again, PG 13. Right. Yeah. And that, well not, I mean not like, you know, in terms of graphic content, but yeah, that they left out some of that. And uh, sorry, if you can hear that jingling, my dog just came into the dining room. <laughs> studio where we're recording yeah. uh a much higher audience score though 85 percent so nice. a bit of a discrepancy that doesn't surprise me because everyone seems to like this movie and I, I i do like it despite you know what i say about it sometimes it's it's so good and it's queen like mm-hmm. how can you not right i remember you know i always like to look at you know actors where they start you know i remember uh rami malik when he was in night at the museum yeah um, yeah i was i all like he was one of that's part of the reason i chose uh freddie mercury for my major character is because of uh rami because he is an interesting actor and i've seen him in a couple other things and it's just I, I appreciate him. He's so good. He knocks it out of the park. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait to see. Uh, I think he's going to be in the new uh, Knives Out, I believe. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's, you know, he's going to have a great career. Yeah. I mean, I, he's, he's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And before we close out on Bohemian Rhapsody, I just want kind of, I don't think we fully explained. So with the, the director issue. Oh yeah. So, yeah, Brian Singer was the the director and credited as director, but uh, there was immediately drama on set where, and this is aside from Brian Singer being, you know, a piece of shit abuser, you know that that yeah. has since come out. Uh, he was just, you know, a drama queen on set. Uh, would, you know, show up late every day, would, you know, do one take, then have, like, the choreographer or assistant director do the rest. Well, he would bring showed up at all. Yeah, he would, like, bring uh, family and friends to set, and it was just a, a mate, which, you know, sparingly is okay, but it just became a major distraction. Uh, and he eventually left filming, allegedly due to a death in the family, but it came out it was through conflicts with Malik. Yeah. And so then then as a result, uh the director of our next movie was brought in to finish. 
Which, didn't you say he was originally going to do it, and then... He was, yep. And what happened? He uh, dropped out when it got... When uh, Sasha Baron Cohen dropped out. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Um, One other, like, fun fact that I learned before we go to the next one is that um, Malik took his role, so, like, he had... Prosthetics. Prosthetics for Mm -hmm. the teeth. And he would wear them 100% of the time and even took them home after filming. I mean, that's what you got to do. You know, souvenir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody else is going to get it. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, depending on how many they made, I suppose. True. I'm assuming that with that, I don't know. I mean, I would think you would have to have more than one on hand in case it broke. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but then again, you know, as as I learned about Lord of the Rings, um, with the elf ears, they had to like shape those every morning, and they had to be very precise. And anytime they fucked up, they would like rip it off the actor's ear and like throw it and have to start all over again. Mm. And it was made of like this rubbery, gluey stuff that they only had like a set amount of time before it hardened. So I I can imagine, you know, having a handful or at least, you know, three to five sets of these teeth prosthetics for such a, you know, big name movie. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> kind of amazed it was not nominated for makeup and costuming. Um I I liked a lot of his costuming. Um, Madonna and I were talking about um, the costuming in this versus the costuming in Rocket Man, and um, it the conversation kind of started off um, when I made the comment about Freddie Mercury paving the way for someone, you know, a homosexual flamboyant open man such as Adam Lambert um but I I was I kind of made the you know comparison that Freddie Mercury just kind of wore what he wanted he saw something he liked and he wore it Mm -hmm. whereas Elton John had stage clothes and costumes and like we will we will talk about the costumes in Rocket Man because ooh buddy, um, but I mean that's just Elton John, you know mm-hmm. that's that's how he did, and you know that allowed him to be Elton John, whereas you know Freddie Mercury wasn't, you know dressing up on stage to be Freddie Mercury at Live Aid. He walked up in jeans and a white ribbed tank. Um, Only, uh, only because I refuse to use the more common slang term for that article of clothing. Yeah. Um, It's disgusting. Yeah. And I, a number of people have said, you know, we should ban that term and I really hope we would, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it is more of a mouthful to say, you know, white ribbed tank top than the other one. Um, 
but yeah, it just there there is you know a finite difference between the two regarding clothing. Um, but definitely when watching Bohemian Rhapsody, there were times where I was like, I want his jacket, or that's a really cute sweater, you know, just things like that. Well, Jess, what movie did you cover? Oh, hey, so I watched Rocket Man. I mean, I watched both movies, but I chose to cover Rocket Man and talk about it uh, for several reasons. Um, just, oh gosh, I I love this movie. Um, you actually, pounced on it really hard. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I dibsed this movie um, straight up. Like, I I loved both of these movies. I saw both of them at least twice in the theaters, but I I love Rocket Man a little bit more. Uh, Stefan and I actually went to see it in the theater at one point, mm-hmm. and there was a woman who slept <laughs> through the whole thing and snored um. the movie. How did you go? to a movie like that and sleep through it like that's yeah like i feel like you should have at some point maybe thought this might not be the perfect time to go to this movie. and it was a late night show too it was <laughs> it, it wasn't that late it was like an eight or nine but um i mean to, to for be her fair, age it's probably late to be fair oh. <laughs> um i i have done that um when when i was a newer mom, I went to see The Hateful Eight and promptly fell asleep and slept through the entire thing. Um, Is that the one with Chris Pratt in it? No, that's okay. The Magnificent Seven. Thank you. Which, <laughs> on, so the reason I'm looking at you kind of like not mean mugging, but along those lines is it made me think of Magnific- Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. which I did enjoy and was in the middle of the movie, and we had somebody playing on their phone during the movie. Oh, I would have yelled at him. Uh. I did. Like, it got to snow. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, sitting there angrily, because it wasn't even like they were on their phone. It's they were on their phone playing videos at oh. a low volume. So uh. Yeah, I've I've had people do that too. Um, I definitely got to the point where I was just like irritated. I think my like deciding factor to say something was when I was tr- getting really into the Chris Pratt death scene. It spoiler. Hasn't seen I it. haven't seen it yet. Jess has been trying to get me to watch it since we've known yeah. each other. Well, yeah. I feel like spoiler is. It, it was fucking before. It's the over play. a year old. It's fine. Yeah, like the. At this point, this is your fault. Um, <laughs> Fair. Is when her phone, like, started, like, making music noises. And I literally was just like, uh, could you put that away? Now, and have... it, like, Sorry. And on for a couple of seconds. And then this dude, this older dude was like, no, you need to put that away. This is a movie theater. You do not watch videos at this time. Yes. If you need to, leave. Nice. (laughs) Afterwards, I definitely did do the, like, dude, thank you. Mm -hmm. Nice. Because I really liked this movie. 
and you ruined my Chris Pat Pratt death scene. I'm I'm a little okay with that. I'm as I mentioned before, I'm a little pratted out. I uh, I, I have I'm gonna have love for him for because I I'm a huge um, Parks and Rec fan. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. Like my it's hysterical. Uh, my family oh, loves yeah, it. No, yeah, yeah. The last tattoo I got, they had it on in the shop, and so that's what you know kept me busy instead of you know feeling what the artist was doing with the needle in my arm. Mm. But. Um, yeah, I've I've also talked about the Magnificent Seven. If you want, basically Chris Pratt phoning it in. That's Never you said funny. that. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm it's gonna disagree with you. it's so phoned in. Like he's like, all right, here's my cheesy smile. Here's me being smug. Here's me riding a horse. I can totally do this. Like, mm. I have to go back and rewatch it now. I'm gonna have to like. I don't know if I can fight you on this. I might. I I will make that discuss that that thought when I uh yeah. Well, just at that point, he was in so many movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's when they decide, like, they realized, oh, you're pretty and funny. Yeah. Well, and he lost, you know, his baby fat. So. Well, so funny story. Apparently, he gained the weight to play Andy in. Parks and Rec, but is usually relatively fit. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, just at this time, he was in so many movies that, um, you know, being in so many movies combined with the fact that it was an ensemble cast and he wasn't oh, so many people carrying the movie, he could phone it in and get away with it because it wasn't all about him. Um, and I have been trying to uh, put together Magnificent Seven versus Young Guns from like the late 80s, early 90s with like Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Lou Diamond Phillips. Like that would be a, or uh, Tombstone. I have not seen Tombstone. Me neither. I've always wanted to see that. Really good. Yeah, I just, um, I love Young Guns. Um, that's also an inso- an ensemble cast. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is in it. Like, you know, a whole, you know, mess of people where it doesn't concentrate on one person. Whereas Tombstone, I think of Antonio Banderas. Well, so, um, he was in it. Val Kilmer was in it. Eh. Um, oh, God. There's a few people who are relatively well-known at that time that were in it. Okay. All right. Well, we can we, we can look into it, and who knows? Maybe it'll be a triple threat. Dun-dun-dun! Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, rounding back, um, Stefan and I went to see this movie, and this woman was sleeping through it, and then I sidelined to where I have slept through a movie in a theater, The Hateful Eight, which was by Quentin Tarantino, and it had uh, Channing Tatum and Samuel Jackson in it, and... Um, I kind of kicked myself for sleeping through it, but also it kind of, I was, I was excited that it was a Tarantino, but it also looked kind of boring. Um, but anyway, when, when you're a new mother, you get very tired. Um, (laughs) but this woman was snoring so (laughs) hard through the entire thing. And like, People were giggling when she had, like, big, like, 
Yeah. And at one point I went out and talked to a manager. I'm like, hey, there's a person snoring in the theater. Can we do something about this? And this is the part that kind of busts my chops, but is kind of funny at the same time, is I came back in and they the person sleeping was quiet. And the manager had sent a security guard in to deal with them, just in case. And the security guard stood at the, you know, theater um, little hallway from the door. And they were quiet the entire time. Mm-hmm. Because, and of course. Then, yeah. And then, oh, I, I swear they were awake for that part and pretending. And then as soon as the security guard left... She went back to snoring. Mm. And then at the end of the movie, when people were walking out, and of course, because there are people who are actually nice in Minnesota, not the quote-unquote Minnesota nice, um, somebody actually leaned over her and was like, oh, wake up, the movie's done, da-da-da. I'm like, you know what? Let her, let them sleep. You know, if they slept through the movie, they can flip and stay there. Mm-hmm. Like the so, last person on the bus, like yeah. last stop, get on out. Yeah, right. yeah. Like it just it was frustrating. But um, yes. I went and saw this movie at the Cheapy Theater as well, and I just I love it, love it, love it so much. Um, cheap seat theaters. I know. I really wish the Cheapy Theater over here would flip and open already. And there's. If, they, if it doesn't happen soon, they may have to close. Well, here's the deal. They are run by the church next door, so right. we, who knows? Yeah. Well, they, like, apparently there's something going on with, like, second-run theaters. I don't know what the situation is, but, like, um, the Riverview Theater in Minneapolis, which has been around for god 70 years Mm -hmm. um was a cheapy theater a second run theater but they started back up and started running new movies and raised their prices that's lame right and so a lot of um i know for the one that was across the bridge from duluth and superior it was because they couldn't afford to upgrade to digital. They were still unreal. Mm. And this is 2012. Yeah. Well, I, I really like, you know, the, the cheapy theater by my house. Cause it's, it's, it's good. It's nice. And the, the only thing that it's really lacking is electric doors and handicapped stalls. They could do better with mm-hmm. their, accessibility they could do better with their whole bathroom situation (laughs) true (laughs) um their their bathrooms are a little wonky um i'm a uh fun fact you might not know about me as a hobby i am a google local guide and so i take pictures and upload them for google so you know when you search something and pictures pop up i'm one of the people that does that um and for this cheapy theater, they actually let me go in the men's room and take pictures inside the men's bathroom. 
I mean, obviously made sure nobody was in there. But um, why? You could have <laughs> included them in the picture. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. I I always get people's permission if I'm going to include them in a photo, um, and I I make sure to let them know what I'm doing. Um, I I have over five million views on my pictures. Um, so it's. Well, I don't know you had that many. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's. It's just a fun little side gig. And some people have made comments like, oh, it's Google. You should get paid. I'm like, I don't want to have to be expected to do this. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't want it as a job. Um, but like going to see movies at this cheapy theater, uh, one of the fun things was, you know, you can bring kids there. And because it's second run, you know, it's not... It's not so bad, you know, having kids there or like at the ends of movies, like my son would take that as a cue to have a dance break because they do music through the ending Mm -hmm. credits. And so he would go up by the screen and have like a dance party. Uh, We got speaking of which we got to go see the new uh, Adams family. Yes. It comes out. I saw the trailer for that. Oh, I have not seen a trailer yet, but I really enjoyed the new one. I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it way, way more than I thought I would. Um, I showed I, it to I, my mom. She really liked it, too. Yeah, I was worried that it was going to be like a remake, but no, it is completely different. I highly support it. I highly uh, suggest people check it out. Um, I I really liked it. Does ha- have Christina Ricci in it? No. Sadly, no. But I Chloe Grace Moretz, who I also love. I liked her to carry on the, like, Morticia thing. Everybody yeah. does. If if there was a live action to be made, like, she has to be in it. Period. Mm-hmm. Like, but this is animated. It's, you know, there was a cartoon version of the Adams Family a number of years ago. I remember that one. That yeah, I remember like, that. Sir had like huge black circles around his eyes, and yeah, it's just it's you know kind of silly. Um, but yeah, it it had a really great story to it, and mm-hmm. so I I highly suggest checking it out. Right. But that's not the movie we're talking about now. <laughs> um, we are talking about Rocket Man. Uh, it came out in 2019. Um, and I am on Wikipedia right now. Um, it is a biographical musical fantasy drama film based on the life and music of British musician Elton John. Um, it was directed by Dexter Fletcher and written by Lee Hall, um, who, you know, we talked about Dexter Fletcher and he, you know, he really did a great job, you know, in this and in, um, Bohemian Rhapsody. So, honestly, I'm really glad we're doing a director spotlight on him. Um, I don't know much about him. Um, Madonna found out that he was an actor. He is an actor. He is an actor. Um, yeah, he is. Oh, God, now I have to look it up. Um, yeah. Oh, he's been in a lot of stuff. I'm looking him up now. Yeah, so wow. I... Well, now I have to look it up. <laughs> so, what I... Uh, basically, I've seen him in something random because he plays a lot of like background characters. Mm-hmm. And so we were watching part of the extras and the features, and I, and he came on the 
came up and like, like I just looked, oh, that's him. I've seen him in things. He's in movies. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> which led to a, you know, quick um, ID, IMDB uh, dive into who he is. Uh, and he has 110 acting credits. Wow. Uh, yeah. So he's not like a like two bit actor. He no. has uh, done some stuff. Um, like he was in Lock, Stock, and or Lock, Stock, and Two Barrels. Two smoking okay. barrels. Thank you. Yeah, I did enjoy that movie. I I've never seen it. Missing, messing up my words. So. <laughs> it's, Sorry, it's all good. You're uh, fine. Apparently, he had an uncredited part in Muppets Most Wanted. I see that. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm trying to find things that I, I recognize. He was D'Artagnan's father in the 2011 version of the Three Musketeers. He was in Doom. I have not seen that. Um, I'm trying to find things I've seen. Thank you. Kick-Ass? Yep, he was Cody in Kick-Ass, which I was not a fan. I know everybody loves it. I'm not a fan. Um, I am on the fence with it. I, um, so it came out about the same time as another movie called Super came out and Super had Rain Wilson from The Office. Super. It is so good. Also, I knew somebody who had animated the intro, so. Oh, Interesting. Um, yes, he was Soap in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which I have heard of but not seen. Uh, he was Otto in The Man Who Knew Too Little, which I have not seen, um, but I've heard of it. Um, and I don't think you want to see it because your your favorite actor is in there. <laughs> I mean, which one? Bill Murray. I'm oh, facetious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Like, I don't know. I can. I can deal with Bill Murray in little parts, but I don't I don't want to watch anything he has starred in. Another SNL character alum, yeah. Um I saw one other one that jumped out at me and I went past it. Oh, he was in uh Tristan and Isold, which I have not seen, but a friend of mine. Uh, used to really love it. He was Auric, uh in Tristan and Isold. Um, but he has eight director um, credits. And actually, he directed a movie called Eddie the Eagle, which stars our star of Rocket Man, um, Taron Edgerton, who mm. I just love. Try not to swoon too hard, Jeff. <laughs> no, no, I know you love him. He is swoon worthy. Uh, no, he he is. He is. He is. Yeah. Um, that is so, my introduction to him, and I will swoon forever. Yes. Um, we have like a little mini Taryn Edgerton fan club over here right now, because um, <laughs> he's totally swoon worthy. He is so cute. And Jamie Bell. I just. <laughs> Jamie uh, Bell is Jamie Bell is also yeah an underrated, you know for good looking yeah uh so taron edgerton i know him from or i had first seen him in kingsman he played eggsy 
Yes, um, that's the movie I keep trying to think of. Yeah, uh, the sequel has something about the Golden Circle. Yes, and I actually have both of them. Um, I am very excited for the prequel coming out very soon. Finally, um, God, that movie's been delayed like two years. It seems. I want to say in the fall. the The sequel did not do great, so which made me sad because it was very kitschy in the same way. Oh yeah, um, it. it's like they they packed more quote-unquote studs into it um (laughs) (laughs) um so i just i i love taron edgerton and quite honestly he is in the in what i have seen him in in interviews in movies he's been in um he can basically do no wrong um so far that i've Mm -hmm. seen i know I know he's young, you know, I know he's got a lifetime ahead of him, but I, I've seen both Kingsman movies. I actually own both Kingsman movies. Um, and just out of happenstance, I watched this movie, Eddie the Eagle, at one point, and the only reason I watched it was because it had Taron Edgerton in it. Um, Once we get to talking about Rocket Man, I'll I, I'll have my story that's similar to the, like that. Okay. Um, so Eddie the Eagle is the story of Eddie Edwards, uh, the the notoriously tenacious British underdog ski jumper who charmed the world at the 1988 Winter Olympics. Um, I beautiful. Yeah, it it was a really heartwarming, good movie. Um, Karen Edgerton can act his butt off. Like, he is mm-hmm. fucking amazing. And if he didn't prove that to you in Rocket Man, watch Eddie the Eagle. Completely different character. He did so good. Um, yeah, I just, I can't say enough about it. But then also, um, we watched the movie Sing uh, with my son, who absolutely loves it. And uh, he was the voice of Johnny, the gorilla. I love Johnny. He he did his own singing, and he did a cover of um, I'm Still Standing, which I believe led him to uh, trying out for this role. Um, or, you know, at least, at least hearing about it. Um, he was in the 2018 version of Robin Hood. He was Robin of Loxley. Um, I keep meaning to watch it. I have not gotten there. Um, yeah. The list of movies that, like, I plan on seeing is just incredibly long all the time. (laughs) You and me both. It's, yeah, it's like the to be read book pile. Like I, I don't know which one is bigger. Well, the difference between you and Madonna Stefan is that she waits to come over to my house to watch stuff. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, so my partner, I love him to death. We do not have the same tastes in movies all the time, and mm-hmm. he won't watch anything that has any sort of scare factor to it. Um, I, and he, yeah, like, I love him to death, but, um, baby does not have great taste. (laughs) Yeah. So she comes over to my house to watch the good things. 
Um, but Taryn Edgerton also was in The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance as Ryan. Hmm. And uh, he was in the 2020 version of The Sandman as John Constantine, which is a really, really good um, role that Keanu Reeves played. And I really like that movie. And so I think it would be really interesting to see him as John Constantine. Um, but again, Taron Edgerton can do no wrong. Um, so besides doing the singing himself in Sing, he did all of his own singing in Rocket Man. So that's that's not Elton John. That's not him mixed with Elton John. That mm-hmm. is all Taron Edgerton. And that's impressive because, I mean, he did a phenomenal job. And, like, even in, like, how he enunciates Elton's words. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, which is a huge part of, like, the personality he puts into his music. Yes. Um. So, yeah, like... I will also concede in my love of Edgerton and how yeah. adorable he is. So should we get t-shirts made for this fan club? Um, I mean, I would wear one. <laughs> it, um, it, it can add to our collection of weird shit that we've decided that we include in our friendship circle. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're, we're weird friends. Um, yeah, yeah, we yeah, are. We're we're yeah. held together by our weirdness. Sarcasm, energy drinks, and horror. Yeah, and morbidity and Yeah. <laughs> my Lisa Frank, <laughs> my gothic Lisa Frank is how I always like explain people to you. Yeah. Explain <laughs> you to people. Um so I know you lovely audience listeners um, have not seen many pictures of me, but I do identify as pastel goth. And so Madonna (laughs) basically sums me up as uh, gothic Lisa Frank. Because it's like adorably cute, but slightly deadly. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I, I kind of have an air about me that quote unquote rubs people the wrong way. So... I don't know. I can't turn it off. It's just kind of there. Um, I I suppose, you know, major depressive disorder has something to do with it. Um, or, you know, my fondness for pastels and pink. Who knows? Um, either way, I put them all together very nicely in a cute little package. Um So, you know, talking about the soundtrack, you know, I think Taron Edgerton did a beyond amazing job emulating Elton John. And Elton John has been around for a very long time. As we said, you know, um, came up in the 70s. I think, like, sorry to interrupt. No, it's all good. Um, It's. You know, we were talking about the similarities of the two movies and their life together. Like you were talking about, you know, him being, they're both very prolific and they were both like these characters of like themselves almost. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so interesting with that. And like, just 
you know, we were talking about like they how leaps and bounds of how they set examples for like people to be openly gay in a time that it Mm -hmm. wasn't as acceptable and leading the way for other actor or singers to be openly gay. Yeah. Right. Yep. And um, there is also a history versus Hollywood real faces uh, page for this movie as well. So I will be talking about that um, here and there. Um, I actually found this page in Googling, you know, how autobiographical is Rocket Man. And um, it actually followed his life pretty closely. Um, uh, it seems a little more closely than um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um but as as I, you know, was saying in the summary, it stars Taryn Edgerton as John, Jamie Bell as Bernie Telpin, Richard Madden as John Reed, and Bryce Dallas Howard as Sheila Eileen, who, if you didn't know she's in this movie, you would not recognize. Like, nope. nope. Uh, this, nope. this is so beyond any of her other roles I have ever ever seen her in Mm -hmm. and like she doesn't even have her iconic howard um howard known hair from Mm -hmm. you know her father ron howard who played richie cunningham on happy days um right for redheaded goodness yes yeah and Uh, uh bryce dallas howard is my that actor oh yeah for this movie Yep. Yeah. She, as you mentioned, she's uh, Ron Howard's daughter. Uh, she has been in a ton of movies. Uh, her first big role starring movie was uh, The Village, which uh, we have differing opinions on that, as we've talked <laughs> yeah. about before. Yeah, I still stand by as flawed as Roger Ebert was. His review for that movie, I think, is like the best thing he's ever written. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, uh she was the original Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man three. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. She was in twilight. I forget about that. Was she? Yeah. Victoria. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Because in the first one they had somebody else. And then in the second one, she played Victoria. So they did an actor switch. Mm, I hate when they do that. I get it happens sometimes. Okay. She was in, um, uh, the help. Her character was so awful in the help. Ugh hated her so i don't i don't remember her in the help but between the help and this movie which was she worse the help experience in the help did she eat the pie she ate the pie i I would say yeah she was worse in the help and she um she was she's in the uh the jurassic world trilogy yes as claire in the lead and she uh on TV, she was in uh, my favorite episode of Black Mirror. Sorry. Thank you. I'm so oh, sorry, no. San Junipero. It's amazing. Okay. I get San it. Junipero is amazing, but it I is. really love this episode, too. Um, I actually, dive. I, when, when I force people to watch this episode, because it is so fantastic, mm-hmm. I explain to people that I would be the truck driver. I can see that. Like I, I go against 
mm-hmm. social norms and don't give a fuck. It's so scary how much of that, you know, has kind of come to be. Yeah. Whenever I like, well, you know, I, do an Uber or Lyft, I'm just like, oh my God, it's like Black Mirror. Exactly. And oh my God, the rating, the ratings are going like haywire and it, it might eventually get to that point. Um, if, if y'all have not seen this episode of Black Mirror, I don't know which one it is offhand. It's called it Nosedive. Nosedive. Do you know what season and episode it is? Uh, season three. I don't know what episode it is, but there's not that many Black Mirror episodes. I, I want to say it's early in the season, like mm-hmm. one, two, or three. But it is so good. and It's oh the first gosh. episode. Okay, that's what I thought. But holy buckets. It's as fucked up as Black Mirror can be. I feel like this was probably the most... No plausible yes i would yeah plausible like this this could come true Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i don't know if you know if you got such a bad rating score you would lose your job and be ostracized from your workplace actually Um, that's pretty like if you make stupid statements on facebook or instagram or twitter people have lost jobs i mean true yeah um a a close friend of mine um made a racist statement online and Mm -hmm. I, i did not know she was like this like i have been friends with this girl for over a decade and I did not know she was like this. That's the um, down. Well, the upside and downside of social media is that it gives everybody a platform to mm-hmm. express their ideas. And you learned that people you thought had plausible ideas to might not. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And like she, we, you know, she and I, our friendship worked because we were both quote unquote crazy um and i try not to use that term because it is uh problematic and ableist now but we you know don't care you know we have different ideas about things um and you know we we are very she for for a very long time she was my ride or die friend like Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to be there for each other no matter what. Um, And, you know, this was during Corona when everybody was at home. And she worked at home anyway. But um, she worked for a national company. And she was on top of her game. And she was winning awards. Yep. All of this. Like, her company flew her across the country to get an award up here. I take offense to her being your ride or die because, excuse me? (laughs) Uh, You are now, but, like, you know, we've we've been through different circumstances, and you and I have only been friends for five years, okay? But then you mentioned her in Corona. Okay, never mind. I'm, yeah. Not not in person. She she lives out of the state now. Um, Got it. Like, she used to be my ride or die on 
several levels. Um, let's just um, go with the fact that you just don't have other ones anymore, and I'm the only one you've ever had. Uh, no, after after this statement came to life, um, or came to light, I was very taken aback, and it it makes it very hard to see her as a friend and see her as the person I thought she was. Um, and she made this one racist uh, offshoot statement and it was it was pretty bad. And some people looked up her profile on a popular social media site and found out where she worked and started contacting them, emailing, calling, everything, and she was promptly fired. So it's definitely going that way, but... I I feel it is a little different, though, with, like, the rating system, though. Yeah, well, as I I said, I can't say she didn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, she was top spot at this company, but if somebody's being detrimental right to your company like with with different beliefs that don't coincide with your company or you know um put your company in a bad light um you you don't want them around um nope. so or bring the right wrong type of representation mm-hmm. yeah um so you know she she has a different job now, and unfortunately, um, well, I guess depending on the way you look at it, she's got a new job now, and she's getting along, and she lives in a red state, and so I guess her new company she's working for is okay with what she said. Um, she, you know, she was open with them and told them the truth when they asked why she left her last job um but i i definitely don't keep in as close of touch as i used to with her um she's not my ride or die anymore um you know it's taken yeah i just uh, it's it's frustrating because she was you know a really great friend through you know a really difficult time in my life and um i'm telling you i am your only friend that you can have (laughs) that's cute pat 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 um (laughs) anyway no i am not this problematic i hope you understand sarcasm (laughs) sarcasm and this is not an abusive relationship in the emotional sense. Girl, you try me. I will take that roll later back. Okay. I gotta give you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we share um, mo- mobile assisted devices sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, she, uh, Madonna, is also handicapped, um, and which is one of the reasons we have such a close friendship. But anyway, I 
I lost where I was going with all of this. <laughs> so Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, but, um, the rating system. That episode is really great, and you should check it out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if if I were to be anybody in the uh, Black Mirror universe, I would be the truck driver in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a scary episode. So no. if, if you're not a horror fan, it's okay to watch, but it will definitely make you a little paranoid of the future. Mm-hmm. As if we're not already. <laughs> it's emotionally scary, not physically, like, horror scary. Right. Yeah, like, there's no killing in it. That's how no. I explain um, one of my favorite movies, um, Idiocracy. It, it, oh, it, I love that movie. But also, like, a sad future prediction. So, um, but yes, continue. <laughs> um. So anyway, talking about the soundtrack, um, it's it's really fantastic. Um, we, you know, it the movie covers, you know, basically the life of Elton John um, from when he was a young boy and his family life and, you know, uh, growing up um, and finding out that, you know, he can play songs by ear like he can hear it once and repeat it back which is absolutely amazing and i guess um elton john really can do that um but he can't write words to the songs um and so you know uh it follows his early days in england um as a prodigy and he goes to the royal academy of music and um Growing up, he, you know, starts uh, playing um, (laughs) uh, one of my notes. um, You know, we will check off on that. He starts playing different gigs and comes up and meets his... I'm going to say... I'm going to borrow a note from Jay and Silent Bob here and say his hetero life partner... Benny Topin, Bernie Topin, sorry. Um, Who's and, awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and they make a wonderful team, and they've been together basically since before they even met. And um, it, you know, it basically just comes, uh, it, it covers basically... The last 40 years of Elton John's life and career, Um, you know, kind of the ups and downs. And it's definitely more gritty than um, Bohemian Rhapsody um, because it does focus on, you know, one to two people instead of an entire band. Um, well, and uh, Elton John was uh, an executive producer. Yes. But, I mean, in going back to this cool website I found. Um, oh, don't do that. Um, uh, members of Queen had a hand in 
uh, the making of the movie as well. Um, Brian May and Roger Taylor spent eight years trying to get Bohemian Rhapsody made. Um, so, you know, they, they had a hand in it as well. Um, they wanted to, you know, keep it pretty light and remember Freddie Mercury in good ways. Um, but as I said, this, this with, with addiction being such a big part of Elton John's life. Um, and there's, there's a quote I will bring up. Um, I, I think he felt the need, you know, to, to point out that these are real things and he does have suicide attempts. Well, and he has mental illness and he talks about, you know, being open with mental illness and, you know, it's, I think it's portrayed really well. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the uh, group therapy sessions were some of my favorite scenes. Um, So that was actually, um, so basically the movie opens um, with Elton John walking into or walking down a hallway wearing this bright orange costume that's covered in rhinestones and huge wings and horns and uh he he walks into an aa meeting um and the the movie takes place he's he's telling his story throughout this aa meeting um and you know they they're going through like flashes of his life um and what he's remembering and telling this group um but one thing i did want to talk about is the costumes is that you know they they're so fantastic and um uh, there's a cool special feature on the blu-ray disc that we had you know i think it's 10 minutes or less about um Edgerton becoming Elton John and you know uh the things he did for the movie like um shaving his hairline back and you know putting they put you know different like bald bald wigs or balding hair pieces on top of his head and like that is that is just amazing. There's there's not a lot of celebrities who would do that. Um, that's that's definitely saying a lot about how much you're putting into this role. But uh, between that and the emulation of Elton John, I I just can't say enough good about um, Taron Edgerton. But the costumes, um, they they worked really hard to make them as similar yet slightly different than Elton John's actual costumes. Um, I also like really respect how they um, really included the costumes in the storytelling. Um, I don't know if you were going to bring this up or not. Oh, you can. Um, and like the deconstruction of the outfit that he originally shows up in as you go through his life and like things get more intense, he becomes himself again. 
Yeah, he he starts shedding yeah. his costume. And so, you know, at one point, you know, he's taken the wings off. And at one point, he's taken the jacket off. And at one point, he's taken the hat helmet off, you know, until finally he's in a robe, a robe and glasses. Like, and that's kind of when he's deconstructed Elton John and kind of gone through this perfect storm of his life. I feel like it's um, where he his recovery begins. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I'm... I'm just kind of going to go off of the notes I took here. Um, so he was named uh, Reginald White uh, as a child um, and changed his name to Elton Hercules John, <laughs> which great you know, stage I, name. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic name. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they said, you know, in as. He said, you know, oh, I think I need a stage name. What if I went by Elton Dean and one of his bandmates was like, that's my name. No, fuck you. Um, And eventually in the movie, they ask what his name is. And he said, uh, Elton John, while looking at a picture of the Beatles and John Lennon. Um, But... Uh, apparently, he took that from something else. La, 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 I'm trying to find it. Uh, um, so, on this, historyvershollywood.com, uh, there's a question that says, was it Elton John's idea to change his name? Uh, no. Music publisher Stephen James, son of Dick James, Suggested that he change his name from Reg Dwight. Uh, I said to him, "We can't put your, we can't put in uh, brackets uh, your album out under the name Reg Dwight. It's not a very awe-inspiring name." One thing I really love about IMDb is not only can you click on the actor or actress to go to their page and see their filmography, but you can click on their character. And it'll pull up specifically their quotes and photos of them in that character. So it's it is very very helpful. <laughs> oh, it's, um, it's a great website on this great show. Database. Um, but uh, Elton John walks into this AA meeting and he says, "My name is Elton Hercules John, and I'm an alcoholic, and a cocaine addict, and a sex addict, and a bulimic." Also a shopaholic and has problems with weed, prescription drugs, and anger management. And I'm when I watched this last week, um, which, by the way, sorry, dear listeners, we had a bit of a hiccup uh, in our schedule. Um, but since it is a five-week month, we are resigned to only doing four shows a month. So, you know, we, we had... A week and we kind of needed to take it um but anyway we were back doing this um but i just i thought that was really interesting but i'm also sitting here like okay you need aa you need na 
Um, I don't know if there's an SA. You need, you know, a, you know, a rehab facility for food disorders. Like, I'm just, I'm just sitting there, like, I'm like, that one meeting is not going to help all of this. <laughs> like, you're, you're going to have to go to a few places, honey. Um, which, if you are, you know, suffering from any number of these, you should reach out and find your nearest facility and talk to them. Um, Get help. Yes. Um, I am non-religious, so I can't put full stock in AA because they are very religious-based. Um, but you can absolutely find something that works for you. They are out there. Whew. Anyway, um, one thing I really liked is the scene blending and changes and um, showing Elton John at different ages. Um, they got these little cute little boys um, throughout or at different ages. And uh, they they do a side by side picture comparison. And like there's a couple of them that look just spot on. Like they're they are adorable and they do such a good job, not only with acting, but with singing as well. Um, and they they're so fantastic and they're so just adorable. And um, there's there's one that says a couple of times, you know, when are you going to hug me? And it's it's almost like heartbreaking. Like it's oh, you oh, feel for honey. those little babies. That yeah. was so sad, that scene. Yeah. So well, sad. and he says it a couple of times. And the first time, mm, I I really want to punch his dad um, on several occasions. Problematic parenting. Oh, oh, my word, the parents. Um, I think we could have an episode just on them. I think we could have an episode on dysfunctional parents in movies. <laughs> um. So, you know, kind of, I'm going to kind of try to go through my notes a little quickly because I, I know we've been talking a lot and, um, I have quite a few notes because I do very much love this movie and it's definitely a banger. You know, you know, the songs, you enjoy them. Um, but so, you know, um, Little Reginald Dwight lives in a house with his mother and grandmother and dad, who is often away because he's in the military. Um, and his mom is not very loving or supportive. Uh, his father is not very loving or supportive or present. Um, emotionally, physically, any way. any way at all. Like he is in the house at points, but like that's the extent. Yeah, Reginald goes to pick up one of his records, and he's like, "No, you don't touch those. Those are mine. Those are mint, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And um, you know, at one point, Reginald says, "You know, when are you gonna hug me?" Like, 
if if you notice in this movie, neither of his parents touch him. No. And That's something no child should ever have to ask. Yeah, and like, thank goodness for his grandma being in the mm-hmm. house. Like she, oh, she was supportive. She was wonderful. Like, um, you know, Reginald was like, oh, my piano teacher thinks I'm good enough to go to the music institute. And his mom's like, oh, well, I don't have time for that. And grandma's like, I'll take him. She's very narcissistic. Mom. Yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, not grandma. Grandma is not narcissistic. She is. She is lovely. Um, His parents probably never should have been parents. I mean, no. No, Uh, they shouldn't. uh, I... It is very I mean, then we wouldn't have Elton John, but yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I saw a few traits in his mother that I saw in my own mother um, being a toxic person, very selfish, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So it, it was difficult. Um, and, you know, seeing how she is as, you know, he gets famous and gets more and more money and all of this she just she's just so just disgusting like it just gets worse um and he finally calls her out on it but it takes him a very long time um i i have i have a um note here that says i love when real quote-unquote instruments play rock slash modern music so there's one point where little reginald dwight is in his bed uh conducting a symphony with his flashlight and they're playing some of elton john's music with an orchestra instead of you know a guitar and bass and drums and whatnot it's it's a full orchestra with uh brass and woodwinds and whatnot um i just i think it's really fun when um when instruments do that because most of the time you hear them play classical and i understand songs are songs notes are notes and it's all in how you read it um but it's just i don't know i i think it's fun I think they did a really good job of bringing the story in with the movie. Yeah. Or the music in with the story. And Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like, that's the one thing that is very different about the two movies is that, like, I feel like Bohemian Rhapsody's music was a part of it in a sense that it was like, this is where we were when we created this. Where Elton John's Elton John songs were used as story devices to bring, kind of tell the story in the background and to like make it like flow. I think like like Rocket Man was more of like an actual musical in that sense. Yeah, Um, I I think it helped um, progress the picture and it helped put you in the mood that you needed to be in in that part the music told the story not the actions yeah um i i feel it's easier to feel music than you know just words 
So I think in using those songs, it helped you more understand uh, how Elton John was feeling in different times throughout the movie. Um, yeah, so um, he, uh, Elton John, um, or sorry, Reginald Dwight, he's still a kid at this point, but he wants to change his hair, and so he gets like a pompadour, and uh, he basically looks like a little buddy Holly. He is so cute, and um, he's got, you know, kind of his first gig at this bar where they're doing a meat raffle. Um, I love meat raffles. I didn't think they existed outside of the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say, if you've never heard of a meat raffle... Um, more or less, it's exactly how it sounds. You buy tickets and you can win meat, cuts of meat and different types of meat. It is exactly how it sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I have not done much research on it. Um, but I have also only see it, seen it in the Midwest. Um, Especially here in Minnesota, um, it's it's kind of a big thing. Um, you can find many we all bars. love free meat. <laughs> all For the sure. menus are like included. Um, I don't think vegetarians love free meat, <laughs> but I, I mean they love versions of free meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's. They, that's what they were doing before uh, Reginald Dwight goes on. Um, and he starts to play a song and he starts to get booed. And then uh, Grandma is like, you know, play that one that I like. And he plays uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, which is a great song. Um, Nickelback did a cover of it. And I'm sure a few other people have too. Um, yes, I will go out and say I... I'm somewhat of a Nickelback fan. Don't boo and hiss me too badly. I'm judging. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you're judging McJudgerton. I am. Um, <laughs> I feel like I have that right. Um, yeah, and so I just, uh, you know, I, I like Nickelback's version. I think it's, you know, a fun cover. Um, but yeah, and uh, so this, this, um, Saturday night is all right for fighting. Um, he, he actually, uh, grows up during this montage and, uh, it's definitely a musical part or piece, um, where, you know, he, you know, big fight starts out in the bar and then he, you know, jumps out the window and he finds a carnival and people are dancing all over there. And uh, there's a really cool little Bollywood part um, that's pretty fun. And then, you know, he makes his way back and he's, you know, grown up to, you know, college age. Um, I think he's out of school now. And uh, he... I I don't remember if he's seen or what. Um, he gets offered a job 
with some touring American musicians. Um, and it's some musicians of color. Um, and he's playing the piano for them. And then um, at one point, he catches the eye of one of the backup singer, male backup singers. And uh, one night before he goes out on stage, he kind of uh, pushes Reginald up against the wall and kisses him, which is his first uh, homosexual kiss. Um, and uh, he, you know, says good luck and goes out on stage. And I think, you know, this was kind of a confusion to Reginald, um, more or less. It's where he kind of realized, like, that it was... I think it's, like, the becoming of the... The, the opening bud of the realization of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reginald Dwight is, um... You know, he plays for this show for a while, and he keeps going to uh, the lead singer of the show for advice, you know, like, how did you pick a stage name? You know, um, what did you have to do to, you know, get signed and things like that? Um, and so like, basically, you know, this lead singer is giving him advice here and there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's starting to say, you know, oh, I think I'm going to go audition for a producer. And then, uh, was it the same musician who kissed him, who was sitting at the table, who was like, you know, what, what are you, oh. what are they going to do when they find out your, uh, F word? So, um, I believe that was part of it. I think so I'm going to have backtrack just a second because you were talking about the advice he was getting from the black artist. And it was that, like, I think that it was a huge, like, lead in to how he becomes Elton John. And he's like, the other artist is you have to kill who you are to become who you should want, who you want mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but yes, I think that was, no, that was after he met Bernie. Yes. Um, he had already gone and auditioned. Um, and he and Bernie had moved in together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they auditioned and the dude, the gentleman was like, okay, you can write music, but can you write? And he's like, I can't write. So he hands him this random packet of just like mailed in lyrics yeah, that um that comes up in my next point. Um, you know, when he went to audition and uh you know, they they were like, "Oh, you know, what are you good at?" and like he would, you know, spit out this little tune and they were like, "Oh, is that a song?" and he's like, "No, I just made that up on the spot." Um and so, you know, we find out that he can play music, but not write songs. Um, and at this point is where he decides to change his name to Elton John in the movie. Um, he looks at the picture of the Beatles. Um, and the, the uh, auditioning 
manager, which is actually like an assistant of the actual <laughs> manager who walks in and he's like, what are you doing in my office? <laughs> and so it it was a little funny, but he's like, all right, you know, you want to play manager, go play manager. Um, and so he hands Elton John a pile of letters um, that basically Bernie has been sending in and it's, songs with no tune um or you know poetry um lyrics, lyrics yeah um because you know bernie can write lyrics but no tune and so it's kind of the you know you got chocolate in my peanut butter you know you got peanut butter in my chocolate <laughs> of a beautiful friendship yeah, yeah, like, it just happened to be, you know, it just happened to work out, um, and eventually, you know, well, uh, Elton John reaches out to Bernie and wants to meet, and um, they meet up, and, uh, you know, they're going through the letters, and Bernie tries to grab one away from Elton and he's like, no, no, don't worry about this one. And he's like, no, I, you know, I have a tune for this one already. And, you know, Bernie's just so kind of shocked that, you know, his his lyrics have, you know, somebody that has a tune for them. Um, I would like to just be like, so Jamie Bell is my that guy. That actor? This, that actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is the character or the actor who plays Bernie and so I heart Jamie Bell Um, he's great he if you don't remember was Billy Elliot from Billy Elliot movie Um, but he's also from this really really random movie that I love called uh, Chum Scrubber which was a random $5 find that had a weird name title. And I was like, sure, I will try this. And he kind of, that kind of started my love for my, for Jamie Bell and kind of watching a lot of random movies because he's in it. Mm-hmm. He was in immediate, his first role immediately after Billy Elliot was in this world war one set horror movie called death watch. That is really, really good. It also has, um, oh God, uh, the uh, Andy Circus. Oh, isn't it as well? Yeah, it's about Great this character actor. Yeah, this like regimen that is, uh, they come across an abandoned uh, trench during World War One, and they go down, and they're like getting hunted by this demon. Some some like a ghost, something like a ghost of someone who died on the battle, but it's really good. I'm like, oh my god, a World War One movie. That's they don't make many of those, and it was really good. It has what I think one of the most freaky scenes ever in a movie, where this guy like can't. It's he's covered with a blanket, and he says he can't feel his legs, mm. and they pull it off, and these like rats are just devouring his legs. Ew. Yeah, it's very freaky. 
that'll always that's, stick out with me with that movie. I that's definitely one of the worst ways I've heard of being tortured or dying. Um, in uh, in Sinister Two, they uh, they take a rat and put it on somebody's stomach and put a pail over it. Yep. So there's nowhere to go but down. That was an old fashioned torture method where they would yeah. like you know light it on fire and yeah, it would ugh. Ugh. basically it's a well used trope. Mm-hmm. In a lot of like horror films or torture devices or. Yeah, um, I did pull up Jamie Bell's IMDb as well, his filmography. Um, so the first movie I recognized him being in, he was Smike in Nicholas Nickleby, which I never saw, but the name stuck with me. Um, but what I do remember seeing him in was... Jumper? Snowpiercer. Oh, yes. yes. He was Edgar in Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. He did a, a great job, and he did a great job in this movie. And so, you know, I I say good pick, Madonna. I heart Jamie Bell. Oh, he was in. I never saw this movie, Nymphomaniac. It's supposed uh, to be just a total trip. Two, it looks like. Yes. Oh. Sounds like a movie I might miss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love bad movies, so I might, you know, check that out. I'll check it out with you. I, I of course. Do. You gotta, you gotta have like a soft spot spot for terrible movies. Oh yeah, like I, I, I just I love terrible movies. They're we so um, bad. For yeah, right. we were. Um, the, the song, uh, you know, I read it in a magazine, Benny and the Jets, um, came on. What? No, like, it, I, because I, the, the whole, you know, just think the song to remember what it was. It was cute. I, it, it was like the friend giggle. Oh, okay. I mean, I know I'm cute. I'm cute. So cute. I'm cute as I can be. Um, if anybody watched the old Animaniacs, um, Anyway, uh, when Benny and the Jets came on, which um, came at kind of a pivotal point in the movie when Elton John uh, comes to America, and um, I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead of things. So, uh, in a nutshell, he and Bernie moved in together. He started dating the landlord. He was outed by this musician, um, came out to his girlfriend. She threw him out. They moved back in with Elton's mom and grandma, who uh, Elton's mom was now with another guy. Um, and Elton was figuring out his feelings. And uh, he he starts to lean in to kiss Bernie. Um, I love this. I love this part. I love and this part. Bernie is just like, I love you, man, but not like that. How what he handled that. Th- that's exactly how you handle that. Yeah. If you're a friend. thing during the, like during it, the film. It was just, it was beautiful. And that is one of many reasons why Bernie is my MVP of this movie. I, I'll, I will support your decision. <laughs> he, he was just a wonderful friend. And um, when we get to the end and kind of the, the real, you know, Elton John and Bernie, after this movie that kind of was like the cherry on top. I'll mention that. 
Uh, okay, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about the acceptance speech at all. Oh, yeah, just, you know, how, you know, thank you for taking a chance on us again. They uh, they won the Oscar for original song for this movie. It was I'm Gonna Love Me Again. Yes. Yeah, it was what it was called. Yeah, and they uh, it was their first Oscar win in 25 years since uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? That was in The Lion King. Yeah. Okay. That was 25 years ago? Do you believe that? No! <laughs> I, I mean, like, I get it, Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, oh my god, now I feel ancient. <laughs> it was 25 years ago this year when the original <laughs> Space Jam came out. Stop it! <laughs> I just, I, I watched the new one today don't talk about it because i'm i i haven't decided if i'm gonna see it yet i need i need no opinions it's worth a cheap theater watch at least don't spend don't don't pay full price for it well if the cheap theaters were open right wait but then we could see it i mean Uh, like like a tuesday felt i was gonna see it anyway not gonna lie a five dollar tuesday yeah yeah um so, uh, good, good MVP choice, Stefan. Um, you know, Elton John wouldn't be Elton John without Bernie. No. Like, who knows where he would be? And we're talking about him being the MVP. One of the things that we... And MVP. Uh, yes. Um, that me and Jess were talking about was, like, the portrayal of his friendship with Elton John throughout the whole movie... And how, like, being people who have mental illness and, like, and how it's portrayed in movies and, like, the supporting of people with mental illness is always like, oh, you have to, like, sacrifice everything to try and help them get through this, which is, like, unrealistic and Mm -hmm. just problematic. Yeah. And, like, I was really impressed with how, like... I really loved Bernie's character in the hopes that, like, how he handled it in the movies, how he handled it in real life, where he's supportive, but he also steps back for his own mental health. And, it, and you know, it's not... And he throws him a lifeline every single time. Well, the thing is, he, he keeps coming back around and checking in. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's being supportive without sacrificing himself. Yeah. Right. And it's, I, I love that because it's either, like, how it's portrayed in movies is so often, it's either all in, where you give up your life for this person to possibly, you know, your mental health to support this person, or you walk out the door because you're the character who doesn't give a fuck. Um, and so, like, I, I really liked Bernie throughout the whole series, the whole movie, for that reason. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Um, you know, I again, the Elton John wouldn't be Elton John without Bernie. Plain and simple. No. Um, Do you think so, Bernie would have been Bernie without Elton John? No. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it it yeah. works both ways and it worked out for them amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only in the movie but in real life, um mm-hmm. Bernie is an MVP. 
yeah, uh, yes. in Alex's life, and they have been friends for the longest time, and yeah. have been together since they were put together. Um, and so when Bernie and Elton moved back in with uh, Elton's mom and grandma, um, bitchy Bryce Dallas Howard is like, uh, you know, you're paying rent. And the next day, Elton John comes down to the breakfast table in a t-shirt and underoos and, like, a shorty robe that's open. And his mom is like, put on some clothes. Like, you know, I don't I don't want to see that. Because, like, literally, she's sitting at the breakfast table and his junk is eye level. Um, but, <laughs> you know. It's the grody, like, next day, like, give up on life outfit. Uh, I I think he's just so used to the nightlife that, you know, he gets up for breakfast and he can, you know, go in his underwear and, you know, not worry about it. But then he's back at home and he's like, oh, yeah, I I might have to be a little proper here. I mean, like my son had a hole in his in the crotch of his pants and he was. Um, crouching down to pick something up and he had his legs splayed open while he was crouching down and I was like I, you have a hole in your pants he's like oh I know it's been there for a while and I'm like well then close your legs I don't need to see your underwear like <laughs> I, I, I don't I think it's just you know a mom thing like I don't you are you know old enough to bathe yourself go potty and take care of yourself i don't want to see your underwear besides buying them in the package or laundering them in our case since my child is almost nine um (laughs) what do you mean he's not a (laughs) self-sufficient adult no no but he is very independent um and Elton sits down at the dining table and mom is like you know you're gonna help out around here you're gonna do dishes you're gonna clean you know i can't do everything around here i can't pull all the weight meanwhile she hasn't done anything grandma's in the background doing dishes and she probably cooked breakfast and that's how it's been since elton was little um Mm -hmm. and uh and like Bernie's just sitting there writing, 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 and Elton looks up and says, We're songwriting. And, you know, mom just kinda looks away and is just kinda has like a whatever look. That's not a real job. Well, I mean, what does songwriting look like? Um, like I I think because, you know, they're not conversing even like mm-hmm. well it's it's just another example of his mom like not being supportive in a in a sense like i also kind of this is the one time i kind of support the mom in the sense that like i'm not doing your shit you're an adult and i like honestly if i had adult kids i'd probably be in that same boat of being like okay you're staying here I am not taking care of you like your mom anymore. You're an adult. And while I understand that, this is also literally the next day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More or less. Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't know for certain, but it it seems like it. Yeah, you know? I mean, and 
Yes. And so, you know, Bernie's writing, 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 and Elton just, like, sits down at the breakfast table and has this back and forth with his mom. And, you know, she has this look like, whatever, like, you're not songwriting. And then, uh, you know, Bernie stops writing and hands what he was working on to Elton. And he's like, I think I'll go have a shave. Like, not like, oh, I'm done with this. Da-da-da-da-da. Like, nope, I'm just, I'm going to go have a shave. Here you go. See what you can do with this. Um, And so, you know, Elton takes the paper and goes and sits down at his childhood piano, full-size piano. It's not like he's, you know, Schroeder on Peanuts where he's got, you know, the little piano and has to sit on a <laughs> pillow on the floor. Um, it's a full-size piano. Um, but he, you know, starts working out this song. Like, he gets this tune in his head and he's figuring out the notes and, you know, just kind of starts plinking it out. And, you know, Bernie hears it from upstairs and comes down and it, it's a song. You know, and that magic moment yeah mm-hmm. and you know in this however long it actually took elton to plink it out um you know they they wrote a song like huh mom you know we're writing a song here's a song you know that bernie literally just handed to me um so just uh, I just thought that was kind of uh, fun talking about um, he's like, you know, we're we're songwriting and mom's like, yeah, whatever. And then, oh, boop, there's a song. Um, <laughs> so um, actually on this Holly, history versus Hollywood uh, article, because I can't talk about it enough because it was so perfect for this episode. Um, there's a question that says, did Elton John really write your song in minutes? Um, and it says, yes. Uh, uh, author Philip Norman revealed this little-known fact in his biography of the singer after lyricist Bernie Taupin scribbled down the words to your song at the breakfast table. Elton wrote the music in a matter of minutes at his mother's residence. So... Yeah, that that happened. Nice. Yeah, I just impressive skill. Yeah, and that song Mm -hmm. is amazing. You know, one of my favorites. And you know, it was rewritten for Princess Diana. Um, No, and my bad. Um, they're they're similar sounding. Is where your song comes. Yes, which we did talk about in that Mm -hmm. episode. Two think, episodes ago. I think that's why you were like. Uh, yeah. No, I just. Um, Candle in the Wind and your song sound a little similar to me when it comes to Elton John songs. So that's that's where the confusion set in. Um, but they brought it to their uh, record label and wound up with a three album deal. Um, and at this point, they get invited to the Troubadour in. Hollywood, California, or Los Angeles, somewhere in California, um, where, uh, you know, they they have this gig at this popular club, and uh, it, Bernie um, is out front 
uh, I guess, schmoozing it up with the people at the bar. And Elton comes out in these shiny, different suspenders clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the star shirt. This is the star shirt and the, I want to say, gold overalls. Iconic. Okay. Um, Shiny. Yeah. Um, And platform boots. And, uh, you know, Bernie comes back and he's like, oh, you know, Neil Diamond and half of the Beach Boys are at the bar. And kind of throws Elton for a loop and is like, what the fuck? Why would you tell me that right before I go on stage? And he freaks out and kind of goes and hides in a bathroom stall. And um, this kid manager who's traveling with them because he's their current manager um, is angry. Like, you're supposed to be going out on stage now. Twat. Yeah, he he, uh, he calls him... (laughs) a little twat and uh it's kind of the kick in the pants that elton john needs and he's like well all right then and like leaves the stall and goes out on stage and uh starts out benny and the jets and um taron edgerton does his own singing in this and it is so so good um and it just it's it's amazing and um so for this part um it's actually a part that was in a lot of the trailers and whatnot it's the part where um he basically lifts up to where he's horizontal with the piano um and he's watching the crowd which gets lifted in slow motion um basically kind of like there's no gravity um but we're we're seeing it kind of from elton john's angle that this is a moment in time that's slow motion for him um and apparently very early in his career he was known for doing these like donkey kicks at the piano um, where he would just, you know, while he was playing, just, like, kick his back legs up and do, like, you know, this this stunt, you know. And I don't think I've ever seen another performer do that. I've seen people perform flips. I've seen um, breakdancing, headstands. You know, I've seen a number of things. I have never seen that, though. So mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Um And afterwards, like, it's a huge success, and they get invited to a party at Mama Cass's. Um, So Mama Cass was a singer back in the day who died uh, supposedly choking on a ham sandwich. false. But, Uh, yep, was not. Um, But Mama Cass is from Mama and the Papas. Yep. Mm -hmm. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. One of my favorite songs from that era. That era. (laughs) It's a very, very good song. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so um, it's at this party. He gets kind of uh, um, ditched by Bernie, who goes off with an absolutely gorgeous girl. And I don't blame him. Um, but, you know, Elton John winds up walking around, just kind of 
checking things out and watching um because he's he's not really in show mode he's he's more in reg mode um mm-hmm. and he is approached by john reed who is my that actor played by richard madden um and if you watched game of thrones and with how big that show was i don't know how you didn't um he played rob stark um definitely a you know good part on that show um definitely uh i'm pretty sure he was part of the red wedding which if you watched that show you would know um yeah so he even if you haven't watched that show you should know what the red wedding right was yeah um and so you know he's got a decent number of things uh of roles under his belt his belt in his filmography he was on the show sirens for a while um he was on game of thrones for 8 years um mm-hmm. he was the prince in the live action cinderella um he he was in 1917 yes i just got there speaking of world um, war 1 movies yeah, so in 2019, he was in Rocket Man and 1917. I'm not a big war movie fan, but I did like that one. It was pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, and uh, he he is Scottish, um, and he definitely has he uses his uh, um, accent uh, in this in this movie um he didn't try to you know hide it or anything it's a very attractive accent even though he's an asshole character his character is an asshole in this movie um but he is a very attractive man and the accent only helps Mm -hmm. Um, and that's probably just us stupid americans fawning over the accent but hey it's what we do it makes you hot so Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but he, he comes up to, uh, Elton and offers him some wine and he says, it's always important to rely on the kindness of strangers. And, um, I, I have to walk a line here when I say this. Um, I want to agree with it. It has worked out well in my life Um, if I've needed help or, you know, if I was short a dollar or something, you know, somebody has usually come to my aid and I'm not trying to brag or anything like that. I personally agree with that but then on the other hand being a uh true crime lover um (laughs) yeah that's that's a little more than slightly problematic and uh it's fine it wasn't ted bundy i was just about to say all i can say is ted bundy um like but to be fair his mo was to Prey on your kindness to strangers. Yes. Mm-hmm. He acted wounded, you know, asked for help, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, yeah. 
So, um, there's two sides of a coin there for me. And in, in, um, using the kindness of strangers. Uh, um, anyway, uh, he, you know, he and John Reed share some wine and, um, he, they wind up in bed together and it is Elton John's, uh, first, um, homosexual relationship experience, mm-hmm. uh, sexual experience. Um, and John Reed, uh, was the first man that Elton John slept with. Um, it is historically accurate, according to History versus Hollywood. Uh, and they reportedly moved in together shortly after meeting. Well, that mm-hmm. doesn't happen in the movie as quickly. No. Um, oh, Jess, before yeah. before we get past John Reed, he actually, I, I forgot about this, so he was portrayed in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. Yeah, because he was uh, Queen's manager yep. at the time, or for a time, and he was portrayed. He was portrayed. He was portrayed by Aiden Gillian Gillian in Bohemian Rhapsody, who was also on Game of Thrones. Was he? Oh yeah. Yep. Who Who was he in Game of Thrones? He was, uh, Baelish. Okay. Oh, I only watched yeah. the first season of that show. Oh, oh man, he had a really good role in um, Game of Thrones. Mm. Like he, ooh, he, he played a really good game. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, you know that that was Elton John's first, you know, homosexual sexual experience. Um, he had been with, you know, uh, at least one woman, uh, before, um, but actually the, there's a question on this site that I'm using and it says, does rocket man contain the first gay male sex scene in a major studio film? And, um, it says, this is what is being widely reported. And it appears that it's true with a caveat or two. Uh, such scenes has, have appeared in other movies, including Midnight Cowboy and Brokeback Mountain, but those came from smaller studios or art house distributors. And Bruno was released by Universal and featured gay male sex, but it was treated as a joke. Right. I was going to say, yeah. Well, yeah. And then there was Milk. Well, yeah, Milk was Focus Features, so that was a smaller studio. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm not really one for... You know, guy on guy action, but they're both pretty hot. So you know, it, it was it was a good scene. But mm-hmm. you know, heads up, this is definitely an R rated movie. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, just just to let you know that is in there. Um, uh, after that, um, Elton John is rising fast. He gets a London tour. He Gets a gold record and um, starts recording with Kiki D. Uh, Nobody Knows It, uh, which is a fun duet to do at karaoke. Um, he runs into John Reed again. And uh, basically, Honky Cat plays well. Um, they go through. And, El- and um, 
John Reed kind of leads Elton to live a little, have some fun with your money. Mm-hmm. And boy, does he. Yes. Oh, it is so bougie. Um, he buys a real big house and a lot of art and uh, jewelry and furs and a lot of extravagant things. Um, this is where I'm going to put in my uh, MVP. Okay. Because this is where they start like really talk, like showing the glasses. And so my MVP is actually the eyewear for Elton John throughout the whole movie. It's iconic. <laughs> it, it is. And it like helps create like it. It was who Elton John was. Like, we've talked about how, like, he was more costumey and, like, big and boisterous. But, like, part of it was, like, he he had eyewear for, like, every situation. And it was, like, it was part of the costume. And kind of, like... It was part of Elton John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what you imagine from Elton John. Yeah. Like, Elton John does not wear basic bifocals. Like, (laughs) no. Elton John wears, like, the best of the best. Like, it's going to go with his outfit. Like, they Mm -hmm. are going to stand out. And you will notice them. They are such amazing design. (laughs) Every time I was just like, those ones are awesome. Those ones are awesome. I might work with uh, it with glasses on a daily basis. So um that is that's why it's partially my MVP. <laughs> I love eyewear. Yes. Um and so in spending these riches, uh John Reed also introdu- introduces Elton John to new habits and developing them including uh drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um you know, can pretty much get it whenever you want it wants it and uh he winds up uh john reed enchants him so much it seems in the movie that he winds up changing management like you know this this little guppy of a manager can't handle the big fish elton john has become Mm -hmm. and so this big fish is going to go off with this shark um and it's actually there's there's a line in it where um you know John Reed is telling the management like hey you know i read your contract i can get him out of this in a pinch like you know he needs bigger representation and that's me um and as as they're leaving um this little guppy manager is like Hey, you know that big fancy painting on the wall? It's upside down. <laughs> just just mm-hmm. kind of like a little like jab. Like, you know, you don't even know what you bought or what you're looking at. Right. Um and so once things kind of settle down, um Elton John seeks out his dad and goes to see him again. And has a very difficult time. Dad is remarried with two new sons. Um, a, a whole new family, basically. Um, doesn't show any love for Elton. Like, Elton brings him a fucking Rolex. 
and he just kind of glances at it and sets it aside. And like the kids run in and they're like, dad, dad, there's a Rolls Royce outside. And, you know, they're they're crawling all over dad, whereas Elton wasn't allowed to touch him, you know, and uh, he was the dad that Elton had wanted. And he's seeing it portrayed on somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's it's really difficult. And he's like, oh, hey, can I get your autograph? And he tells one of the boys to go get this album. So, you know. Not only does he have this new family and they can touch him like they can touch his records and his stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, like this is entirely different. And um, he he even says, you know, I guess, you know, it went better the second time around, huh, Dad? And, um, you know, Elton, Elton's dad asks him to sign the uh, the autograph to Arthur, not to Dad. And he makes some piss mm-hmm. or excuse. You know, that it's for a guy at work, which bullshit. Um, Pretty strong coincidence. Yeah. And so, like, as he gets in to leave, like, and Elton John, like, while he's visiting his dad, he's like, hey, you know, if you want to come to one of my shows, I can get you tickets. Da 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 da. Like, trying, trying to see his dad more. And his dad just. Let's it flop. Time. No, he. It's not that he didn't have time. He just lets it flop. Like mm-hmm. it's. It's like you know. He, it's like Elton is lobbing these balls at his dad. Like you know, catch one. You know, play he's, a little back and forth he's with me. Throwing out like, lines right and left to mm-hmm. have a, like a relationship. any relationship. And his dad is just like, nope. nah. Yeah. Nope, not interested, and it just, it's, it's... You're my, so, you're my old life, yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it the, the worst part for me was when Elton gets in the car, and he's already having an emotional breakdown from dealing with these new boys in this family, getting the attention he never did. But then as he, as the dad is walking back in the house, like he picks up one of the boys and like carries him on his hip, even though he is way too old to be doing that. This kid is mm-hmm. at least eight years old, eight to 10 years old. And like they kids are really big by then. So like there wasn't a need for it, but it's just kind of rubbing that closeness in his face. It's also like, um, Helping create that self-loathing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's just the whole, like, you weren't the son I wanted. You're not good enough. You were a defective child. And I found better ones. Right. Or I made better ones. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, later on, uh, Elton John is supposed to be on a TV show. And he's writing to the studio with... John Reed and um, he he stops the car and he calls his mother to tell her to tell her that he's gay. He's homosexual or a mm. poofta. 
as they put it, is the slur that they mm-hmm. used. Um, and I'm only saying it because it is said in the movie a couple of times. Right. But it is a homophobic slur that should not be used ever again. Um, but he basically calls his mother and she straight up says, you know, why are you calling? I'm, you know, waiting for you to go on this show. And he's like, well, how can I go on the show if I'm talking to you on the phone? And she takes pause like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And, um, you know, he he tells her and he he's angry about it in getting this out and having to tell her. And she's like, I've always known, you know, and she she tells him, you know, that she's known for years and he is choosing a life of being alone forever. And she says, you'll never be loved properly. Mm, Those words. Yeah. I don't know which was worse from his parents. I mean, probably the dad. They both are. I mean, for different reasons. His mom just so. Like, even from a young age, like at one point she's, you know, trying to show his dad that, you know, she's a more loving parent. And as she like leaves the room, she makes kissing gestures near his cheek, but doesn't actually touch him. She's mm-hmm. emotional. And yeah. yeah. And manipulative as he gets older. And that's she's, awesome. yeah. Like, she's just, she's, she's there, but she's not emotional. She's in it for herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you know, Elton John is making more and more money and she's like, Oh, you know, I need a check for this summer home that we found that I really like. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he he goes on. Um, That's kind of like the sign of his like deep decline. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think it's it's the beginning of his deep decline. Yeah, it's just the yeah the 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 digging of the hole. Well, and the realization that he doesn't have close family. Like, his parents... He's unlovable. Don't really love him. Yeah. It's fostered. He's not good enough. He's unlovable. And... He doesn't have any friends. Yeah. Except for Bernie. And he feels like Bernie has abandoned him to go, like, enjoy the spoils of California. Um... Yeah. Because, you know, Bernie's getting money, too, off of the songs because he wrote the lyrics. And he and he's not the face. He's not the one who has to deal with the people. He's the, with the image. He's not the mm-hmm. one in the news. He's not the one in the papers. He's not the one that gets recognized on the street. Uh, you know, it's the I gave up my life for this but you still get paid for it. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, we come to um, actually my next note where uh, Elton John is in the dressing room kind of getting ready and uh, he's putting makeup over the black guy he got from John Reed 
uh, hitting him. After um, he got after told, he talked to his mom. Mm-hmm. He's never going to be loved. Yeah. Um, right, drives the point home. He's supposed to be in this relationship with John Reed, and John Reed is all about business and what Elton can do for him. Mm, right. Um, and, El- and uh, you know, Elton John opens up to Reed and is like, you know, my mother just said this to me, and Reed is just like, it doesn't matter. We have to get to the studio. And, you know, Elton gets mad and pushes him, and Reed comes back and punches him and says, you know, don't ever put your hands on me again. Um, and, you know, walks off back to the car while Elton is left, like, recovering from this punch. Like, I don't think he's ever been hit in his life. So it's kind of a a shock to his system that somebody who's supposed to love him would do this. Um, and so he's in his dressing room and he puts on these glasses and does a snort of, does a bump of coke and um he he animates his face and then lets it down again and animates his face again and lets it down again and a quote from robin williams popped up in my head um and it Mm -hmm. says i think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless and they don't want to de- they don't want anyone else to feel like that i knew you were going to say that yep yeah. it is one of the most famous quotes about um fame and depression and unfortunately it took robin williams um yeah too early um and he was an amazing comedian and mine but he had his hardships and battles as Mm -hmm. well um but just that line definitely resonated in this scene for me at this point um elton john puts on this giant colorful chicken costume and uh, this this is kind of what we were talking about before in the differences between uh, Freddie Mercury and um, Elton John. You know, Elton John had specific costumes. Mm-hmm. You know, dressing up as a baseball player, a chicken, the Queen of England, like all these different outfits to perform. Um, he had a, a persona. Yes. Yeah, and um, you know, he runs into Bernie backstage, and Bernie's like, "Don't you just want to be Reg White? You know, take off all this stuff." And Elton's like, "Nobody pays to see Reg White. They pay to see Elton John." Elton kind of throws back in Bernie's face that, you know. Bernie can go out on the street and not be recognized and can live a comfortable life, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas, you know, he, whereas Elton John is the face of it. And Bernie brings up Elton's words and just says, you know, well, Bernie, write the songs and I'll do the rest. And I mean, that 
was basically the agreement from the beginning. You know, um, he writes the tunes, he sings the songs. He didn't, I mean, Bernie said he couldn't carry a tune, so, you know, he didn't ask him to try. And Bernie didn't want that. Uh, And so we see Elton kind of going down this spiral where he's doing drugs and drinking and lots of coke. And um, he, you know, walks out on the patio where uh, Reed is sitting. Um, I'm just going to call him Reed because John John is a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finds Reed um, getting pleasured from some rando or the pool boy. Um and, you know, Elton just gets pissed and is like, get out, get out of my fucking house. Like, we're done. I don't want you here, etc. And Elton's family and a couple of neighbors walk in and uh, Reed is like, by the way, your family is coming in today. And Elton's like, I told you to do that next week. And. Reed is like, it is next week. And by the way, you should probably keep your distance because you fucking stink uh, or reek. Mm -hmm. And so it just. It just shows that there's nothing there from Reed. Uh, Reed is in it for Reed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Elton throws this big, lavish party and everybody's out having a good time and. Elton is just up in his room drinking, you know, and Bernie brings up a couple of girls and he's like, oh, yeah, here's Elton. Da, da, da. And Elton's just like, whatever. What the Similar fuck? to how, you know, in Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Freddie Mercury was like like a like a showman basically yep. treated like that in his own home. Yep. His his yeah. show. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury was lucid. Um, mm hmm standing um competent well i mean and this is the the thing that brings up uh elton's first suicide attempt yep attempt yep um and uh quit trying to play footsie with me girl (laughs) i don't want to even pretend because like feel the hustle oh that's not that bad sorry um um but Bernie quickly realizes that Elton is not in the mood for guests and gets the girls out of there. They're like, oh, we need drinks. Let's go get drinks. Um, And he leaves Elton to himself. And after Elton's had enough, he goes out to his diving board and calls attention. He's like, for my next trick, I'm going to kill myself and launches himself into the pool and doesn't try to swim. No. Um, and at this point, the uh, title song comes in, Rocket Man, where, like, a young version of himself is at the bottom of the pool in, like, this scuba suit with, like, the big bubble helmet. And he's mm-hmm. this little kid is a really good singer. Um, <laughs> but uh, eventually, um, this song kind of goes over... People jumping in to save him, him going to the hospital, getting his stomach pumped, um, 
you know, and basically having to turn around and go right back out on stage. And um, at this point, that's what Reed is touting. Like, it doesn't matter what he does. You know, he'll be on stage. He'll be at the show. He'll be there. The show must go on. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so after this first attempt, you know, he, he picks himself up and continues on with his life of hardcore drugs and alcohol. And, um, he goes to a gay club, which I thought this scene was really cool. I really liked this number. Um, just the costumes, the setting, the choreography of it. Um, I, I liked it um but you know having reflections um kind of like looking at himself like wondering what am i doing with my life um sorry um and he he winds up he's in a studio and there's a woman there who you know starts giving him compliments and you know just showing basic appreciation for somebody in distress Mm -hmm. yeah that's not you know some screaming fan on the outside she's she's ooh, she's in the studio and she's she likes my music and what am i gonna do i'm gonna marry her she cares about something Mm -hmm. yeah i want to be loved properly yeah, um, and so he goes and gets married, and which oddly did not work out in his favor in the long run. No, no, she, it did not. She learns very quickly that it is not the relationship she wanted. Like they have sep- separate bedrooms right next door to each other, and they go down for breakfast, and she has orange juice while he has. A screwdriver, which for the uninformed, that is vodka and orange juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a large amount of vodka. Breakfast for the champions. Right. Uh, yeah, no. Um, and he he basically, she she's just kind of staring at him like, you're starting to drink this early? And he's like, I'm sorry. You know, I, I know this isn't what you wanted um or what you signed up for yeah and uh and they get divorced and elton goes to lunch with his mother which at this point she's like oh i need to check for this new uh summer home and he was like why do you need a summer home and his away from your drama yeah like Mm -hmm. his stepdad just straight out it's like to get away from your drama you know every newspaper you're on it with some issue with you know some drug binge or that you know you're out at this club or whatever and you know we we can't stand to see it anymore and um nope it wasn't that they couldn't stand to see it oh it's they couldn't stand the criticism of others Mm-hmm. Oh, his son. Yes. Or about their son. Yeah. Of course, because the opinions of others are more important. 
and how it reflects on them. Right. And textbook um, narcissism. Yep. Uh, yeah, and so um, to really be manipulative, um, Sheila, his mother, uh, it, it's either her or the stepdad that says, oh, well, you know, you're breaking my heart. The mom. Okay, yeah, she, she says, oh, you know, having to see all this, you're breaking my heart. And Elton's just like, well, I'll just write you a check. You can buy a new one. You know, you're a heartless monster. And uh, just that that kind of... Uh, You'd have to have a heart to break first. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so... Um, Elton has another meet-up with Bernie. Um, this was at the restaurant, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he and Bernie... Supposedly, they've never had an argument. Um, but they have said some not nice things to each other. And um, this meet-up with Bernie... Uh, I think this is where Bernie said he's going back to London for a while. Nope, that was in the plane. This is after that. Oh. And he he comes back to check on him and then is like, well, I'm going back to the farm. Um, I think it was the one where they were talking about the farmhouse and returning to country life. Mm, okay. Um, going back had, to basics. Yeah, because he had the uh, cowboy shirt and yes tie. yes where he ordered all the desserts on the menu which mm. classic eating your feelings um i i don't know how this is gonna sound as an obese person but i kind of want to do that sometime just be like give me one of everything like how's that relevant to you your weight that's yeah that would anybody Anybody who loves food would love to do that. Well, just going off the trope that fat people eat any and everything. and mm. It's judgmental feelings you feel. Because yeah. anytime you do anything and you're over, you know, you're plus size, you feel the judgment of people being like, oh, so it's true. You will eat everything. Yeah. And, you know, in this scene they're like oh do you want dessert and he's like uh yeah one of everything and they're and he's like they're like oh do you want ice cream with that he's like yeah and so like you know that that wouldn't be thought of as strange from you know elton john you know he wants one of everything but you know a person that weighs over 250 pounds you know they would probably be judged and looked down upon because in Western society, skinny is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this meetup with Bernie, you know, Bernie walks out and Elton goes to chase after him and Bernie takes off. And this leads to suicide attempt number two, um, where Elton just does copious amounts of coke um, in a sitting and winds up having a heart issue um and has to go back to the hospital um and you know 
Reed is still his manager and he has like somebody on the phone and they're like, oh, didn't he just have, you know, a heart attack? And Reed is like, no, no, it was just this other thing. And the person on the phone is like, well, you know, is he going to be okay? And Reed is like, of course, you know, he'll be on stage tonight. And, you know, I, I always get him back on stage and, uh, you know, the, the Mm -hmm. guy on the phone is like, but shouldn't he rest? Like, is that okay for him? And he's like, he's fine. He's fine. Don't worry about it. He's fine. Um, and in, in coming around from this, um, you know, we we see Elton getting ready for this show and putting on this orange and red rhinestone suit and these huge wings and this cap with horns. And he's supposed to be walking out on stage and he walks out of the arena that he's supposed to play at and takes jumps in a cab and goes to the first AA meeting that he can. And that brings us around to the beginning of the movie and um, where we see Elton um, kind of. It's the turning point. It's the Mm -hmm. turning point. Um, I made, I made note of this, um, that he's no longer in a robe and glasses. He is in a bedazzled Puma track suit, um, because I really liked, of course. Um, but he's, he's comfortable and he's, you know, picking himself back up and seeking medical help. Yeah. And he's, you know, at at this meeting and you know he's winding up and um all these people from his life are kind of coming out of the woodwork that he's Mm -hmm. so like you know reed and his mom and his dad and talking about all these doubts that they have about him doubts and disappointments and uh then um a child version of him comes out and Mm -hmm. uh Elton says, you know, I think I'm okay with being strange. Yeah. And I I really love that quote. I wish more people were okay with mm-hmm. me. The that scene has also one of my favorite quotes in any movie I've seen in several years, and one that I relate to when he's addressing uh Reed. Mm-hmm. And he says, It used to it used to hurt me that you didn't love me, but I realize now that you just aren't capable of loving anyone. Yeah. And looking back, I've realized in a lot of like my romantic relationships with people or attempted romantic relationships, that was really the case. And it was like, you know, put too much effort into something and it, you know, it's, it was, it was just, you know, you, you weren't capable of, of loving or being in love because loving and in love are two very different things. Yes. So, you know, I've, I've, yeah, the, that, that, that's, if, if I, you know, if nothing else from this movie for me, that quote has stuck with me. Okay. I mean, that, that is a really great quote. Mm-hmm. And, um, young Reggie Dwight comes up and says, you know, when are you going to hug me? 
and you know elton john hugs little reggie <laughs> dwight you know you you gotta love yourself before you can love anybody else and um, be the hero that you wanted for yourself at that age so i think what that is too that's okay. what i mean yeah, um, there's been a quote going around the past few years that uh, regarding parenting. It's like, you know, be the parent you wish you had. Yeah. Along those lines. You know, mm-hmm. be, be the parent, you know, you wanted. Right. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live that. Um, I, I am very much not taking notes from my own parents. Um But after he comes to this realization, um, he's in rehab and Bernie comes back to visit and, uh, you know, he had, uh, Elton hasn't played, (coughs) excuse me, uh, Elton hasn't played any music in, I think a month. Um, but there is a piano on site and just before Bernie leaves, he hands Elton, um us you know a stack of letters or lyrics mm-hmm. and uh the one that they uh center on is one of my son's favorite songs ever is i'm still standing mm-hmm. and they actually um put taron edgerton into the original video, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, I didn't love it. I wanted to see the real Elton John in it. Because I'm like, you have this upper, like, I wanted the real Elton John. I mean, we were still in the movie movie at that point, yeah. Yeah, and you can look that up on YouTube. I know. It's just like I wanted that splicing of real and where they the movie converges with what was actually happening. I and it just I felt weird with Edgerton in it wasn't combined together well enough for me to feel like he was act like. It was jarring for me because the it wasn't seamless of him being in it, where it's like, it felt disconnected for me personally. Okay. Um, I, I guess I felt it was a good, you know, turnaround going from, you know, putting this song together to making this music video. You know, he's standing, you know, he's doing well, and um, I think having... Edgerton in the video was a nice cap to the movie. And because right after that, it goes into, um, you know. Where he is now. Yeah, basically Mm -hmm. talking about Elton John's life over the past number of years. Um, He's sober for 28 years and counting. Um, He's retiring, touring to spend time with his family. Um, He married his now he is properly loved. Um, I, I, I loved that. Uh, I loved does, that end, that he's loved properly. Yes. That and that was just a great touch. He does still have a shopping addiction. But mm-hmm. Whatever. We all have our vices. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was Rocketman. Um, something I thought was really cool during the end credits is they did 
photographs side by side comparisons so you can see mm-hmm. how well the actors matched up how well the costumes matched up and they didn't match up exactly and they did that um on purpose um so that you know there was a little bit of difference give yeah mm-hmm. um between the movie and Alton John's actual life um yeah and so i didn't cover my mvp my mvp is elton john um obviously this movie wouldn't be here if there was no elton john um elton john is one of the most amazing you know entertainers out there um i'm i'm really excited i got really great tickets for me my partner and my son to go see elton john next year um for a really good price you're gonna love it it's gonna be my son's first concert Mm -hmm. so um normally Normally, um, Elton John goes for like three to four hundred per ticket, and I am not paying anywhere close to that. Um, you don't make big bucks. No, <laughs> no, I don't make big bucks, but damn, I find deals. Yep. You mean that- podcasting doesn't make you wealthy? <laughs> Very true. You are good at finding discounted things. <laughs> <laughs> it it is very rare that I pay full MSRP for something. Um so that you know that was Rocket Man and I know we got on a lot of tangents but these movies were amazing and mm. had to be talked about. So how did this movie fare with the critics, Stefan? Yeah, um so this one instead of a discrepancy it's pretty much the same uh 89% critical 88% audience huh so pr- like extremely close okay all right any any quotes or anything from reviewers that stood out um no i mean basically just people considered it a you know very well done adaptation that was you know really raw and they they were there was a lot of talk to trim it down to a pg-13 after the success of bohemian rhapsody okay they insisted early that that would not be the case all right Mm -hmm. right. well again you know i i think it's been long enough that um you know, we can enjoy some musicals again, but I don't think there's going to be a big musical boom like there was over mm-hmm. um, Moulin Rouge and Chicago and Phantom right. of the Opera. And one came out every year or a couple of years. And it's like, I need a break from this. I mean, this year we did have In the Heights. Well, that just came out. Right. And... After, you know, being on lockdown, I think we can be a bit forgiving. Mm -hmm. All right. So now that we've discussed our thoughts on these films, let's see how they fared in the social media battle polls. Jess, give us a scoop. 
Yes, every Monday we put up a new poll. Um, I did not this week because we kind of stretched this one. Uh, we didn't stretch the poll, but we stretched this episode kind of over two weeks. Uh, life just kind of handed us a curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, but this poll ran last week. And Rocketman soared over Bohemian Rhapsody 67.7% to 32.3%. So Rocketman was the clear favorite here. And I would agree with that. I prefer Rocketman. Did did you vote? Yep. Okay. I I did not. Um it doesn't have my little check mark here. Um Madonna, who or which movie did you like better? Um, I actually voted for Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, you did vote in this? No, I don't oh. have Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. have all of the newest social media. Okay. And by newest, I mean like the things that everybody else has. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I stopped at Facebook. <laughs> All right, so you like Bohemian Rhapsody better. Yeah. Okay. Any specific reason? Um, I think it's because I'm more of a queen girl than I am uh, Elton John. Like, story-wise, I think, and how the music played in, like, how the music helped tell the story for Elton John, I really liked. Like, there's a lot of things that I really like about Rocketman. I just love Queen. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair. And uh, what made you choose Rocketman, Stefan? I mean, kind of for the reasons I said previously, uh, Rocketman to me just was kind of more raw. It was a lot of like what I wanted Bohemian Rhapsody to be and kind of expected it to be. And when it wasn't, you know, I was slightly let down initially. But Bohemian Rhapsody is still a good movie. Yes, I I love them both. Um, as I said, I saw both of them multiple times in multiple theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad that we got to do these two together. Um, they are very similar stories. Yeah. Uh, I did not vote in the poll, but I would choose Rocket Man. Um, I think it was more of an encompassing story and was not afraid to show. More of the dark sides, I guess. Mm-hmm. It got very gritty. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, every Monday we do post a battle poll on Twitter. You can find us at Fighting Films Podcast or the little at symbol Films Fighting. Uh, we are on Facebook at Fighting Films Pod, uh, Fighting Films Podcast, and uh, we our signature colors are orange and blue. Um, we are on Instagram where sometimes I post, you know, pictures or sneak previews of what we might be watching coming up, wink, wink, or, you know, um, pictures of celebrities we've met. Um, I mean, it's, it's mostly just me right now, but, you know, uh, that could change. Um, I am going to be posting pictures of, uh, Freddie Mercury and John Hutton because they are super cute. Um, and we do have a Patreon. 
Um, so if you want to support us, we do have three levels right now, but that may be changing soon. Um, we do have two lovely Patreons right now that we love very much who continually support us each month. Thank you so much, Karen and Brent. We love you. Love it, darling. <laughs> And, of course, you know, if you become a Patreon at any level, you do get some special perks. Uh, so you can check that out at Patreon, and we are Fighting Films Podcast on there. Um, if you want to reach out, you can hit us up at Gmail at FightingFilmsPod at gmail.com. And basically, you'll be reaching me because I handle all that fun stuff. And with that said... Um, Thank you for listening. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Stefan. This is Jess. This is Madonna. And, you know, until next time, let's keep those films fighting. Bye. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye. A huge thank you to Chris the Chippa Chipman for his editing talents and movie poster artwork. All trivia, movie, and actor references, unless otherwise stated, are from imdb.com.